Welcome to Price All. This is Mike here flying solo. And if you're watching on YouTube, you definitely see that this one's going to be different. I'm going to do a screencast here and I'm actually going to read through my rather large NMN article that I wrote published on February 14th of 2023. I wrote most of this over winter break. It's over 20,000 words long, has over 200 citations and is growing as we get more updates. And I figured not everyone wants to read all that, but maybe you'll listen to it in small chunks. So we're going to do a full read through here talking about the whole story behind the FDA's attack on NMN um, and how they are reversing course over a letter of no objection that they had sent regarding a new dietary ingredient notification in 2022, but then new information, quote unquote, came to light. And they are now saying that it is not legal as a dietary supplement ingredient. And so we break this down both in the uh, on the legal side and the biochemical side. We'll also have the NPA's Dan Fabricant back on the podcast to talk about this as well as more updates uh, are concerned. So this is going to be a rather large uh, read through. I'll probably break it up into chunks and uh, and let's go. Background. A battle is brewing between the dietary supplement industry and the FDA. It's over the legal status of an ingredient known as NMN, a natural vitamin with powerful anti-aging potential. After a company followed the guidelines to get NMN acknowledged as a legal dietary ingredient, the FDA has gone back on its word, citing a drug exclusion clause similar to what was used in the NAC and its CBD cases. The supplement industry must decide whether it will fight for this ingredient or risk losing it, and potentially many others, for good. Okay, so that was the background. Uh, under that, I have article updates. We did have one update after we published this article. So on February 16th, 2023, you may have heard this, Amazon has sent letters to NMN sellers stating that, uh, that all NMN-containing supplements will be removed on March 13th, 2023. So and then I link, see, see the Amazon removal section for more details. So we have many sections here. You're going to see I have like a TLDR, too long, didn't read, uh, section of this article where we're going to allow you to skip around if you want to if you're clicking through here if you only want to read the amazon stuff you can skip right down to that so i'm trying to make it this easy because i know it's a big article um also it's february 20th i just i got a text message rumors that walmart's removing it too that's just a rumor maybe we'll remove that um wouldn't be surprised though but this is we'll, we'll get into it this is what really led into with nac that's what led to like the 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 legal um fireworks so uh, now that financial incentives are here it's probably going to get pretty crazy so what happened to nmn this is our our main introduction on march 21st 2022 a company named syncozymes filed a new dietary ingredient notification or an ndin for beta nicotinamide mononucleotide with the united states food and drug administration I have two citations there. I won't tell you every time I have citations, but we link to this. We link right to the PDF. Continuing. The new dietary ingredient, NDI, designation is part of a legal process to ensure the safety of new ingredients entering the marketplace. It states a manufacturer may not introduce or deliver any, new, any dietary supplement with the new ingredient for a period of 75 days after filing the NDIN. So I'll get into this later. I'm, I'm already breaking off from my post. This is a this is not an approval process. This is actually a notification process. We notify the FDA that hey, there's this new ingredient. Got 75 days before it enters the market, and they uh, they don't approve it, but they can eject. Okay, so that's really how this is. It is not an approval. It's not a drug. This is how dietary supplements were codified into the law. So we'll get into that. Continuing. 
At that point, and as long as there's no objection from the FDA, the ingredient may be legally sold in dietary supplements in the U.S. The only caveat is if it's later declared adulterated due to safety concerns for which the burden of proof is on the FDA. Two months after Syncozymes filed their NDIN for beta-nicotinamide mononucleotide, otherwise known as NMN, the FDA confirmed receipt. In an acknowledgement letter, the agency asserted that it had no objections. 90 days after the filing, the FDA publicly designated it NDIN 1247-1247 on regulations.gov. So you can see on the regulations.gov, there's an entire docket here. And... But I also link to the no objections PDF right here. And they basically, it's a confirmation that they received it, um, but they it's not an approval process, like I said. So that's one thing that people don't always fully understand. The NDI acknowledgments served as the next major step for NMN following a pair of patents granted in 2009 and 2010 for its use in food and supplements, as well as generally recognized as safe GRAS, GRAS affirmations in 2018 and 2020. Within 75 days of the acknowledgement, no objection letter was sent from the FDA. Per the filing, NMN was now legal as a dietary supplement ingredient at the dose of up to 300 milligrams per day, or so everyone thought. Not so fast, the FDA's unprecedented reversal on NMN. In early November of 2022, Raymond Philip Yeager of the Office of Dietary Supplement Programs at the FDA sent a letter to Syncozymes regarding NDIN 1247. He stated that new information came to light. I, I really wanted to put a big Lebowski joke in here, so this is me putting it in right here. And that NMN may not, may not be marketed as or in a dietary supplement. Jaeger and the FDA claimed that, quote, NMN is an article authorized for investigation as a new drug by the FDA, end quote, citing the provision of the Food Drug, uh, Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act that excludes drugs from dietary supplements. Now, right here, if you link in, in the blog, we actually link exactly to the part. There's a little way of highlighting here, and we're going to get into this stuff in detail later. The FDA's reversal letter cites three ongoing clinical drug trials on clinicaltrials.gov. They were filed in 2021 on March 25th, March 9th, uh, March 25th, September 9th, and September 10th. And I cite each, each of those. The agency was either unaware or disregarding NMN's grasp affirmation. A pharmaceutical uh, outfit called Metro International Biotech is running two of these trials, one of which has an extremely questionable history, which we'll discuss later in this article. The FDA further explains their conclusion by referencing a supplemental response letter to a different ingredient, NDIN 1259. So it's, uh, that was to a different notification, um, but also for NMN. That too was later rejected and on similar grounds. This NDIN reversal is a completely unprecedented move by the FDA, pulling a public and known NDI that had been acknowledged with no objections and providing zero safety concerns for doing so. So what happened here? Did the FDA have legal standing to commit this specific act? And will the supplement industry mount a fight? 
If you want the full story, including the detailed history of NMN, its importance in human health, and a fair, a fair legal analysis, and the truth of what this molecule really is, then you've come to the right place. This article is long and will grow as we update it over time, but it's also highly necessary. Here's a summary of what we cover. So here's my TLDR summary section. Okay, first, the status. The FDA's efforts would place NMN in an outlandish and untenable position where the ingredient would be permitted in foods and potentially drugs due to its grass affirmation and clinical trials, respectively, yet not legal in dietary supplements due to this NDI objections, new objection letter. So you can skip to the timeline and current status areas of the, of the article. And then we get to NDIN reversal. This, uh, there are no known laws allowing the FDA to quote unquote reverse an NDI acknowledgement without safety reasons. It's a notification, not an approval. The only legal grounds for a market removal of a, not, a new dietary ingredient are through the adulteration, which is due to safety concerns, and NMN has zero safety issues. See the NDI reversal section uh, discussion for that. Now, this is a sub point, familiar story. Two previous attempts at market removal of an ingredient, Vimpocetine and NAC, were similar but different. The FDA was forced to back down in both circumstances, and both ingredients are still legally on the market. However, neither case is fully closed. A lot of people think that you know, NAC is fine. It's actually that the court case is still not fully resolved, although the FDA did kind of backpedal and uh, write some rulings allowing for it. So we get into that. Passing the test. NMN passes every test as defined by the term, quote-unquote, dietary supplement in the laws regulating dietary supplement ingredients and follows every letter to the law uh, and follows every letter of the law governing the dietary supplement industry. There will be legal disputes concerning dates and definitions, however. So you can see the legal breakdown section. Then we get into NMN's importance. NMN is a critical molecule because it's an NAD precursor, which is essential for energy metabolism, DNA repair, liver detoxification, and countless biochemical reactions in the body. It's classified in a group of niacin, quote-unquote niacin molecules, that include uh, nicotinic acid and niacinamide, which bear an incredibly significant history for human health. So you can see this NAD precursor section there. It's found in food. NMN is found in numerous foods, including milk, edamame, broccoli, cucumbers, cabbage, avocado, tomato, mushrooms, beef, shrimp, cinnamon, and scores of other items in the food supply. As then you can see NMN in the food supply section there. The best NAD precursor. NMN is likely the most efficient and safest NAD precursor of all, and our bodies likely have a trans uh, our bodies may have a transporter dedicated to pulling as much of it from food as possible nmn is a vitamin this is my biggest like little revelation when i was re researching all this nmn is beyond just a dietary supplement it's a vitamin vitamin b3 to be exact this realization provides the fda with a few potential solutions such as giving a grass status like the other forms of vitamin b3 Unlikely they'll do that, but hey, we extend our olive branches. This is really more about this. This really, this article has become more of a call to action to the supplement industry. We're not going to change whatever the FDA does. Like they're going to do what they're going to do. It's really the F, the supplement industry that needs to understand what's going on here and react because FDA will continue doing their thing if no one actually pushes back, such as uh, what happened with NAC. And then I support. Uh, I, I suggest the compromise. It's time for the government to accept that natural compounds can serve as both dietary supplements and as drugs, with stated disease claims at approved doses for the latter. 
This is already the case for nicotinic acid uh, prescribed as Niacor. Between NAC, NMN, and CBD, this is the only reasonable path moving forward. And what you're going to see is that all roads here really lead to CBD. This is The CBD is like the elephant in the room here. And this is just important because of what's happening with CBD as well. Then we get to pharma. Metro International Biotech is the pharmaceutical outlet with drug trials that are causing the FDA to attempt to exclude NMN as a dietary supplement. Their own listings on clinicaltrials.gov have called it a supplement, though. <laughs> You're going to love this part. Uh, but anyway, and then we get into David Sinclair, who many know of. Metro International Biotech was co-founded by David Sinclair, who has repeatedly called the compound a supplement in interviews, on podcasts, including the Joe Rogan Experience, and in his own book. Nearly the entire scientific community calls this ingredient a supplement. However, Sinclair's writings and opinions are completely irrelevant to the legal side of the case. It's, it's, like, it's worth noting. Whatever he says is, is only noteworthy because he was on, he has some published articles and he was on uh, Joe Rogan. And we'll show how that kicked up the trends of uh, people searching for NMN and all that. However, it, it really all the Sinclair stuff has no legal significance in my opinion. Public health. The FDA must remember its charter to protect public health and ensure the safety of our food supply. In a time of systemic societal metabolic dysfunction where NAD precursors are at a premium, excluding NMN from vitamins will have negative effects on public health, especially for underprivileged populations. The supplement industry can get NMN prices down, increasing the vitamins access for all citizens. Um, but the, the pharmaceutical industry likely will not. And then finally, the call to action. We don't have an official call to action just yet because there's no docket open. There's nowhere to leave comments. Share these. Share this stuff is the, is the call to action. Anytime Ben posts a video or reel, share it up. But anyway, uh, the call to action, it's ultimately going to be up to the supplement industry to fight for this ingredient, which represents a monumental slippery slope that may lead to the capture of NAC, CBD, and numerous other substances. Stay tuned to PriceWell to learn how you can get involved. Until then, share this article as well as our videos on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We're getting a lot of uh, exposure on LinkedIn, and it's good for all the in industry insiders to see that. So that is our... Um, our introduction. So then after that, we say, let's start with a simple timeline of what we know and see where it puts us as of early 2023. The crux of the issue, FDA paints itself into a really odd corner. There's a lot to this story, but here's the most simple timeline for legal actions surrounding NMN. One, 2005 and 2009, two NMN patents filed. Two patents were filed with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, or USPTO, in 2005 and 2009. They were approved in 2010 and 2011, respectively, to protect NMN for, for specific uses in food and supplements. 2018, this is the big one. Self-affirmed grass status. On December 22nd of 2018, San Yang Zhu, uh, president of Neutraland, posted onto LinkedIn that their NMN was now self-affirmed grass. I got all kinds of archives here. This one's not going away. So, um, and then he posts that Christmas is green at Neutraland as we have new grass here. Neutraland is pleased to announce that our NMN, this I'm, I'm uh, reading off of his LinkedIn post. Beta-nicotinamide mononucleotide is now self-affirmed grass, generally recognized as safe, following a detailed scientific review by an independent expert panel. The grass affirmation will allow the inclusion of NMN from Neutraland in a wide range of food, beverage, and supplement products. Um, and then he's got a nice little image there. And so we get into the details of that. Neutraland published a marketing brochure on their website stating that they obtained self-affirmed uh, grass status after a detailed scientific review by an independent expert panel dated December 18th of 2018. So 
There's a PDF right there. Then in June of 2020, uh, NMN-based dietary supplements are listed in the NIH's dietary supplement label database itself. So dating back to June of 2020, the NIH's dietary supplement label database, run by the Office of Dietary Supplements, lists numerous NMN supplements, including one with a nutrition facts panel. Uh, note that this is a non-inclusive list of NMN supplements since the dat database listing is not mandatory, although uh, we had NPA on a previous episode uh on the podcast talking about that dick turbin before he was out of the uh senate was trying to to ram that law in and it failed so anyway many others were sold much earlier but the above are the ones listed on a federal website which is just kind of funny and here's the big stuff march of 22 synchrozymes successfully files the ndin for nmn so on march 21st 2022 synchrozymes filed their new dietary ingredient notification for nmn with the fda May 16th, 2022, FDA acknowledgement letter contains no objections. That's the big one. June 5th, 2022, NMN is deemed legal as a dietary supplement at 300 milligrams per day. That's kind of the 75-day the point. July 28th of 2022, NDIN 1247 is posted online. So he links to all that. Then November 4th, and this is item 5, November 4th of 2022, the FDA reverses the acknowledgement letter on NDIN 1247, and it's worth repeating that this reversal, initiated for reasons unrelated to safety, is completely unprecedented. Then number six, on January 20th of 2023, FDA refuses Natural Products Association's request to open a public docket on NMN. So at this point, it should be pretty clear to anyone in the supplement industry that the FDA is unlikely to budge and that the burden is on you to assert your rights. So I have a screenshot of that letter to Dr. Dan Fabricant. We'll get him on the podcast for sure on this one. February 16th of 2023, Amazon then removed all NMN products. And so they sent a letter uh, to sellers containing those supplements, stating that all NMN supplements would be removed on March 13th of 2023. Rumor is that Walmart's following suit. And they uh, are stating that basically... Uh, since it's no longer considered a dietary supplement, it's now considered a drug or a drug ingredient. They're kind of treating it like an over-the-counter drug. You could buy Advil on um, on Amazon, and it's, that's what they're 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 going to be treating it as until something changes, and it's up to us to make something change. So this is an unsurprising move since Amazon did the same with NAC after the FDA attempted to exclude it from uh, classification as a dietary supplement. Similar to what happened after NAC's removal on Amazon, it's likely that this decision will accelerate the battle since there are now clear financial incentives for the industry to fight back against the FDA. Dr. Dan Fabricate, Dan Fabricate of the Natural Products Association, or NPA, provided a quote on the record. The Natural Products Association today called on e-commerce retailers to continue selling products containing beta-nicotinamide mononucleotide, or NMN, after Amazon's restricted products team told sellers in an email this morning that those products would be banned after March 13th of 2023. To add perspective, Whole Foods continued, continued to sell NAC when Amazon removed NAC from their platform in 2021. On November 4th of 2022, the Food and Drug Administration arbitrarily ruled that NMN is no longer considered a dietary supplement and instead needs to follow the regulatory process for drugs. I'm still reading Dan's quote here for everyone listening in the audio feeds. In December 2022, NPA requested that FDA initiate a typical dietary supplement public comment period 
on the ingredient where stakeholders would have the opportunity to submit relevant safety data to the agency, but the agency rejected the request without explanation. Quote, this latest example of the, of, of the FDA misinterpretation of the law is wreaking havoc on the marketplace and causing confusion and significant ec economic harm, said Daniel Fabricant, PhD, president and CEO of the MPA. This is the first time in history that FDA reversed itself on an acknowledgement letter for a new dietary ingredient without a shred of evidence that safety was at risk. It is also setting a new precedent in that the, the announcement of generally recognized as safe or grass doesn't establish the marketing of NMN or place it in the food supply before someone could swoop in with an IND or an investigational new drug and keep it out of the market. FDA's growing and repeated abuse of the law, and this is still Dan talking, of the law is sending shockwaves across the dietary supplement industry. If the FDA can change decisions overnight by appealing an acknowledgement letter without foundation, what's to stop them again? If the, if the agency can exclude NAC from the definition of a dietary supplement, despite the science, what's to stop them from doing it to a different ingredient? If the agency can lobby for unneeded new authorities like a mandatory product listing while ignoring a regulatory path for CBD, which is available on every street corner of America, who will stop them? This is inexcusable and downright shameful, and NPA will use every available resource to ensure the agency is, again, accountable to consumers and the industry. Dan Fabricant of the Natural Products Association. Um, as Dan points out above, other retailers may still continue to sell the ingredient as they did with NAC while this dispute moves forward. Below, this article points out uh, how it still maintains grass affirmation as a food additive, so there will there's still much to be resolved. Interesting. We'll get into Dan, but Dan was uh, also worked for the FDA at one point, so that's what makes this uh, fun. All right, so new section. What happens if the FDA gets their wish as of early 2023? If the above actions stick and the supplement industry fails to mount a fight, then we're in a very weird, unprecedented situation. NMN would be permitted in foods thanks to the grass self-affirmation, but NMN would not be permitted in dietary supplements, even though dietary supplements are legally like kind of treated like foods. So... It's, it's weird. So NMN can still be sold as a food. This means that a company selling a quote-unquote NMN supplement could simply turn it into a food product and change the supplement facts panel to a nutrition facts panel, and the product would still be le legal. It take as little as adding some table salt or a vitamin to make that happen. They would have to uh, follow the good manufacturing practices for foods, of course. So this is, a, this is a nonsensical situation put here thanks to a never-before-seen display of what could only be called, quote-unquote, pharmaceutical gymnastics by the agency. But it's currently the best-case scenario if nothing is done. I'm pretty sure something will get done, but over and over, you're going to see me. I'm, not, I'm never going to criticize the FDA so much as like more like, call the industry to doing something here. So next we have to ask, does the FDA even have legal grounds to reverse this NDIN? And will the supplement industry fight back? So next heading, can the FDA pull an NDI for non-safety reasons? Later in this article, we explain how NMN is both a legal food additive and a legal dietary supplement ingredient. According to, to, to Deshaya 1994, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994, the law of the land in the U.S. dietary supplement industry, as well as the FDA's own code of, codes of federal regulations. So we'll talk about that. That's going to be a little breakout where we get into like, what the laws that Congress wrote and the regulations 
that the FDA wrote. Those are non-elected officials. However, Congress did give them the authority to write their own regulations. And that's argued, but we'll get into that. Court law has stated that these things are legal. Although my personal opinion, if anyone cares, is that I think uh, the government, the, the people that we elect should be the ones writing laws. Anyway. However, that exercise shouldn't even be necessary. The FDA already acknowledged NMN as a legal dietary supplement ingredient with no objections or safety concerns. So the more pressing uh, question is, can the FDA pull a new dietary ingredient notification for reasons other than safety? Now, this is where I get into new head, a little heading here, subheading. New dietary ingredients are notifications. The first thing to understand is that the NDI process is a notification, not an approval. Notifiers provide an NDIN on some article, in this case, orally supplemented beta NMN, and the FDA checks that the article satisfies the legal definition of a dietary supplement and clears the burden of adulteration. In, in this case, adulteration, uh, we're talking about sa- uh, safety. So the FDA can either object, stating that the article has not satisfied some specific clause cited above, or has not established enough evidence of, of safety when used under the conditions suggested, or they acknowledge this type of letter, also known as a good day letter, which means that the adulteration burden has been satisfied without objections, and the agency has no questions about safety or identity. The FDA acknowledged NDIN 1247 for Syncozymes as NMN with no objection on May 16th of 2022. And in this image, I just really quickly circle, it's a notification in the law. At this point, for the agency to reverse, they would need to they would need a finding that it is adulterated under the appropriate sections of the laws. And that FDA that burden is on the FDA to establish. Now, if you go to these laws, section USC 21 USC 342 adulterated food, they when when Congress wrote to Shea, they added in section F for dietary supplement ingredient or safety. Go through this. How do you adulterate an ingredient? It's safety. That's that's the way it is. Um, and then there is some steroid stuff possibly up there that uh, doesn't have anything to do with this ingredient in particular possibly. But the burden of proof is on the FDA to show that it's not safe. NMN is anything but unsafe. Okay. Where was I? Yeah, so the burden of proof is on the FDA to establish. So – NDIN 1247 was legal for 150 plus days. And uh, so it was legally sold for 150 days with no adverse events filed, by the way. At this point, the only legal path to market removal is adulteration, safety reasons. And again, the burden of proof is on the FDA to demonstrate. In fact, on the contrary, safety data from at least four additional human uh, oral uh, NMN studies was published in the uh, peer-reviewed journals during the, uh, the NDIN's timeline. So what we start seeing is in 2022, boom, Boom, uh, boom, boom. I got four studies in 2022 happening. Like we're hitting, we're hitting critical mass. We're like hitting uh, escape velocity is what I put in this article regarding this ingredient. And there are others in, in demonstrating oral safety discussed later in this article as well. But like during this like little period of time, tons of safety data came out. It's safe. So dietary ingredient removal must be run through adulteration. According to Deshaies, 1994, the law written by Congress signed by the president, the only known way to remove a legal dietary supplement ingredient from the market is through adulteration due to safety reasons, like I showed you. 
The law provides no other path to ingredient removal, and nowhere does NMN ever meet that definition of adulteration. In fact, throughout the NDI process, Synchrozymes already met the burden of uh, against adulteration. They put tons of safety data into their new ingredient uh, notification, which we could link to, and you could read all the studies that they cited. More studies have come out since then, like I said. Um, and that's the entire point of providing safety data throughout the NDI process in the first place. Thus, the FDA's reversal has no legal standing nor precedence. There is simply no authority imparted upon the FDA to reverse regulatory status like they are tempted. This isn't 1994 ice skating. There are no takebacks in this regulatory structure because the agency forgot to tie their shoelaces. <laughs> yeah, I had to go there. As such, the letter sent on November 4th of 2022 should be rescinded, but the burden is seemingly on the supplement industry to make that happen. So, again, like, I'm not... I'm not criticizing FDA. They're going to FDA, going to FDA. It's up to the industry. So hasn't this been tried before, Vimpocetine and NAC? So this situation might seem slightly similar. Twice in the recent past, the FDA has attempted to withdraw a legal dietary supplement ingredient for reasons unrelated to safety. The two ingredients are Vimpocetine and NAC, both with decades-long market presence. And both times, the FDA was forced to back down. Uh, so on the right, I have an image here of Orrin Hatch, the sponsor of Deshaies, 1994, an historical watchdog for the dietary supplement industry. He is no longer in the Senate, and, uh, in the Senate, and unfortunately, he passed away. So he is no longer here to fight for the industry like he did with Vimpocetine. So Vimpocetine happened in 2016. This uh, this situation. In 2016, the FDA opened a docket requesting comments on the status of Vimpocetine. It kind of felt like this one came out of the out of the blue. I almost like wish we were heavily we were doing price bottle at this time. I wish we got more involved in this. It was didn't understand the stuff as much. Thankfully, Orrin Hatch was here to get involved, so they didn't need price bottle. They raised concern that Vimpocetine might not be a legal dietary supplement ingredient, even though there are five NDINs without objections. Literally five letters of non-objection here. Link to all of these dockets here. The late Senator Orrin Hatch sent a letter telling the FDA that they already had plenty of opportunity to object to the ingredient. Part of the FDA's response to him included this gem, quote, unquote, due to staff turnover since the 1990s, when the notifications for Vimpocetine review reviewed, we cannot explain today why FDA did not object then. Dale Cristenzio of the Food and Drug Administration. So this is well beyond the point of irresponsibility. We cannot reevaluate new dietary ingredients every time a new regime is installed. The law is the law. And this happened five times, too. Interestingly enough, the 2016 Vimpocetine docket is still open as we write this. I need to include an image here. Let's go to it. If you go here. I'm kind of in mobile mode here. So this is a, a docket. There's comments. There's 835 good patriots sent comments in for this. Go down to more details. DACA status is still open. I mean, do we ever finish anything we open up here? So no agency action was ever taken, and the ingredient remains legally sold on the market. You can find it on Amazon, albeit with a seven-year-old cloud hanging over its head. So this letter... Um, so, yeah, the letter that Orrin Hatch sent is pretty good here if you really care about this. I don't think anyone cares enough about Vimpocetine. Let's just close this docket. Anyway, let's get into NAC. People do care about this one. In 2020, the FDA sent seven suspiciously timed warning letters. Did I put enough emphasis on suspicious? 
Suspiciously timed warning letters to companies that made disease claims on their hangover products containing N-acetylcysteine, or NAC. In some of those letters, the FDA stated that these products are excluded from the definition of dietary supplements because NAC received approval as a drug in 1963. It was not for oral intake, by the way. But um, So this citation, I have linked to the FDA's main thing. Not all FDA warning letters talk about it being uh, excluded from a drug. A lot of these were just because of the hangover claims were making claims that you shouldn't be making regarding this ingredient. A lot of these, uh, a lot of those supplements were very poorly marketed, like as you can imagine, for something that's targeting alcohol, alcohol use. Um, but some of these also went further, and they talked about drug exclusion, and that's what we have here with NMN. Given NSC's significance in immune system supplements, because it's very effective for certain things here, this led to a firestorm of concern, especially after it was removed from Amazon in the spring of 2021. So that's what kicked things off. Getting it off of Amazon, a lot of money to be not made. Uh, people are going to start fighting. So that summer, both the Council for Responsible Nutrition, or CRN, and the Natural Products Association filed, filed citizen petitions requesting that FDA reverse course. I think that's where we're going to be going next with uh, NMN. Anyway, Natural Products Association lawsuit saves NAC, at least for now. Soon after, the MPA sued the FDA and requested the agency cease its retroactive enforcement activities. The lawsuit provides multiple pieces of evidence that NAC was lawfully sold as a dietary supplement before 1994, making it a legal dietary supplement pursuant to the law. This is what's known as like an old dietary ingredient here. And there's ads showing uh, that it was for sale in, in newsletters and uh, mail order magazines uh, at least 1993. There's probably others. In March of 2022, the FDA responded to both trade or to both trade organizations rejecting their requests and maintaining the course that the drug exemption stands even for pre-Dishea ingredients. This has never been resolved, by the way, folks. But considered NPA's request to undertake rulemaking to permit the use of NAC. That August, the FDA issued a final guidance on NAC stating it would exercise, quote-unquote, enforcement discretion for NAC-containing supplements if the product meets all other requirements, such as uh, good manufacturing processes and claims and marketing, all that stuff. They're further considering using the rulemaking authority to determine that NAC is not excluded from the definition of dietary supplement if there are no safety-related concerns found, which they aren't. NAC is very safe. So it's important to note here that, uh, okay, let me just finish. This action spared NAC in the supplement industry, for now at least, but sent a pre concerning precedent. The case is not, still not fully closed. So no one ever decided. What happened is there is use for, I bel uh, for NAC as a drug, and I, it wasn't for oral intake. It might have been inhalable. I, I Don't quote me on that. But what happened is, um, and it, it, the FDA is arguing that this, even if it was an ingredient before 1994 as a dietary supplement, it doesn't invalidate the drug exclusion clause. That's never been like fleshed out in court now because it's never been decided because they just are saying, okay, well, we'll just allow it as a dietary supplement ingredient. They do enforcement discretion uh, and they, they might make permanent rulemaking. But the drug exclusion clause is like this big elephant in the room that. It, 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 it's not fully decided how these timelines really get executed. So 
That's what's important here is that these things are similar to NMN, but not the same. But the supplement industry, I'm, I'm continuing to read now, folks. The supplement industry pushed back against the FDA in both of these situations, and the ingredients legally remain on the dietary supplement market. However, both issues are technically still open and leave numerous unanswered questions, particularly regarding the drug exclusion clause. This is relevant not only to dietary ingredient status of NMN, but to CBD as well. The pattern is clear. It's up to the it's up to the supplement industry to fight for their natural and legal ingredients high into the core system if need be, or they're going to permanently lose them. And then I have a little section. Orrin Hatch is no longer here to save you. It's also important to point out that Orrin Hatch is no longer with us. As one of the longest tenured senators ever, he was an incredibly powerful ally to the dietary supplement industry and was a co-sponsor of Deshea in 1994. The industry needs to stop acting like he's still here because he's not. And nobody that powerful is coming to save you. So in the next section, we do our best, best to break these laws down line by line. Next major section, the legal intricacies surrounding NMN. Now, as I was writing this article, I was really into the biochemistry of this. I was like, oh, look at this. This thing's actually that. And um, none of that matters as much as just like this is a legal argument. So all the legal stuff is up top. And uh, that wasn't originally planned, but that's how it ended up. I ended up realizing that it all comes down to like this timeline, this race to market thing we're going to get into. Um, and so we're going to go here. So the legal intricacies surrounding NMN. As a warning, there are numerous laws, guidelines, rules, procedures, and court decisions governing dietary ingredients, and is not straightforward on a normal day. It's only been made worse with an FDA action that has never before been undertaken. So we do our best to detangle this quagmire with highlighted references used as much as possible. So I'm going to break into this sidebar real quick. Because, uh, and this should become its own blog post. It's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, shout out to Kenton Angle for helping out with uh, some of this stuff as well. And then we'll get back into what uh, explaining grass and all that. So first, I want to talk about the laws and acts. Laws slash acts versus federal codes. So are you confused about how these laws work and their numbers? If you're like digging through the citations, you're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the, the different codes versus laws, all that. First, understand that laws written by Congress and signed by the president go into U.S. code. This article citations to uscode.house.gov. United, uh, United States statutory law is broken into 54 different titles regard, uh, regulating various topics. Title II is for Congress. Title III is for the president. And Title 21 is for food and drugs. So Title 21 is where we live in the supplement industry. Other industries deal with other areas we are in title 21 food and drugs title 21 is built from acts going as far back as the pure food and drug act of 1906 expanded by uh expanded and modified by the 1938 food drug and cosmetic act fdnc uh, act and further modified by the dietary supplement health and education act of 1994 to in 1994 discussed in detail on this page so we have an example of some of these laws here and so what happens is they write a law that then modifies the actual title so if you're going through like uscode.house.gov where the official laws are placed they're kind of like coming from different different laws that have occurred over time and and one law can change like deshay in 1994 altered 
some of the stuff that was written in the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act and added to it. So you have to like kind of so uscode.house.gov is where our official laws are actually at. So Title 21 is our law, written by Congress and signed by the president. Then we can get into federal codes, ecfr.gov. However, in numerous places, in these laws, grant authority back to the executive branch in language such as, like, quote, the director shall or the executive shall or, you know, so-and-so has the authority to do X, Y, Z to create more detailed uh, federal codes. In our case, the FDA is, is the department in the executive branch that's given these authorities. So in order to track those codes, we have to look to the Code of Federal Regulations, officially listed as ecfr.gov. The federal codes relating to Title 21 also have their own Title 21 in order to track the laws that they're regulating. So here's an example. Code of Federal Regulations on ecfr.gov, the Code of Federal Regulations. We're talking about grass stuff, um, but we are in Title 21, Chapter 1, Subchapter B. It's huge. And then they're talking about grass. So the FDA was given authority to talk about how to designate things as generally recognized as safe. Congress isn't going to, um, you know, your congressmen aren't going to want to talk about is like niacin generally recognized as safe. That's not their expertise. It should be the FDA's expertise. So they grant authority to the FDA to state certain things are and are not safe. Seems fair, but it is power that can be abused. And you know that's where uh, the judicial system has to come in. You have the legislative branch writing the laws. You have the executive branch executing them. FDA is under the executive branch, but sometimes you need the judicial system to come in and hopefully it's not perverted, but to come in and, and make sure that all this stuff is constitutional and that it's fair. And, uh, you know, according to the spirit of what the congressmen and women were trying to write in the first place. Okay. Back to my writing, the FDA and several and other federal agencies will post notifications, corrections, amendments, proposed rules, final rules, and other types of actions to the federal register. So these are citations on federalregister.gov, and the final rules can slash will modify the existing standing codes of federal regulations. So we have some examples of where that happened as well, where they're changing, uh, they're changing the, the grass status of something like niacin. These federal codes are less ironclad than the laws signed by Congress, and they can be debated in court if one believes they don't follow the spirit of said laws. But they're still authoritative codes enforced by the executive branch. So then there's sometimes confusion on quote-unquote Section 201. Sometimes you'll see Section 201 mentioned, but you won't find that either. Uh, you won't find that within either Title 21 of the U.S. Code or the CFRs. That's because Section 201 was actually a part of the original Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act in 1938. So it's sometimes back-referenced or modified there. So that just adds more confusion there, but that's what happens with Section 201. Um, now, if you want to get into the argument that this stuff, that the FDA making laws is, is unconstitutional, you can do that. Look into like the Chevron deference, I believe, is the court case that decided that actually it is uh, legal that Congress can permit the executive branch to make their own rulings and everything, but a lot of people, a lot may think that that's unconstitutional, and like that could blow up a whole lot of things if it were. Uh, I think that's kind of been in in courts regarding the um, the EPA as well. Like, does the EPA have the authority to tell certain states to do certain things? And it's a whole other legal thing. And but for now. Case law has stated that the executive branch can write these, these, they're not laws, but these, um, 
I'm looking for the word. Not guidelines. They're more than guidelines, less than laws. Uh, codes. The federal codes. And they do have authority. So that's how we're, we're going to get into a lot of this because Congress didn't write everything we're going to deal with. Anyway, that's actually, we should have a whole separate podcast with a lawyer about that. Now, where am I at? Grass. Generally recognized as safe. Let's get into grass stuff first because that's uh, an important part of this given that we had a 2018 grass ruling here. Before the official creation of the dietary supplement industry in the United States with Deshaies in 1994, vitamins and minerals were treated alongside of foods as governed by the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, Title 21 of the U.S. Code. Several places in the act grant authority to the FDA to designate certain foods, nutrients, and food additives as safe. Then we get say, see the, bar, you know, see the sidebar if you want more on that. We just read all that. For example, two molecules discussed later in this article, niacin and niacinamide, were listed as generally recognized as safe nutrients in a regulation published in 1959, later affirmed in 1983. And this is where we go. You can like dig right into all the stuff, these federal registers, that's the big one. Let's get this. Where you can see they're amending certain things. And they, back in the day, said, okay, niacin is safe here. Substances are generally recognized as safe, along with a bunch of other stuff. This is where they ruled their safe ingredients. Moving on. There are two, uh, these two are listed in the Code of Federal Regulations at 21 CFR Part 184. So we have, we have the regulations where they proposed it, and then they reaffirmed it and all that, and they said it's, it's grass, and then it is there in the regulations. Anyway, additionally, the law allows any person to petition the FDA to publicly issue a regulation that a food or food additive is safe. I don't think that's done that often. And finally, in the Code of Federal Regulations at CFR 170.30b, the FDA permits a process for general recognition of safety for a food additive. This must be performed through generally available and accepted scientific procedures and may use both published and unpublished scientific data information or methods. These food additives can be used without the FDA's pre-market review as affirmed in a 2016 final agency ruling. This last method is known as self-affirmed grass, previously known as grass self-determination. This is an important step for recognizing a substance as safe under the conditions of its intended use. The agency has even provided a best practices guidance document for convening a grass panel. So the FDA does not need to approve something if you have your own uh, self-determination. A lot of people don't like that, and I can understand, but that's, this is what, what the law allows for new food additives. If you don't like it, then don't eat processed food. So the 2018 grass determination for NMN is important here. The reason we explain this process is because NMN received grass status in 2018 well before any attempt into making it into a drug. On December 22nd of 2018, as we showed, Neutraland's president, Sanjing Zhu, posted that their NMN ingredient passed grass self-affirmation. I already read all this. They also have a marketing brochure on their website, further claiming that it uh, obtained gr uh, self-affirmed grass status following a detailed scientific review by the independent expert panel, and that was December 28, uh, 18th of 2018, accompanied by the name Nutrisource Inc., and then now there's no official like certificate or anything um, from the government. Like I said, this is a self-determination by your own, uh, by a, an independent scientific council. It seems like Nutrisource Inc. 
is the company that looked at all the data. Um, and NMN is, is clearly since then, we've had so much studies showing so many studies showing it is safe. But this came from their PDF. So this becomes extraordinarily significant with regards to the actual law sign that regulates the dietary supplement industry. Now we get into Dishea in 1994 defining dietary supplements. So most of the dietary supplement industry is familiar with the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994, better known as Dishea 1994. It's an 11 page act. This 11 page act is the supplement industry's law of the land written by Congress, signed by the president on October 25th, 1994. It modified the federal food, drug and cosmetic act FDNC in an effort to appropriately define what is and is not a dietary supplement in contrast to foods or drugs. At that time, supplements were kind of coming on up in the 1990s, and it became clear they needed a way to handle this. So a key component of Deshea in 1994 is the definition of the term dietary supplement, and there is a good chance you've seen this before. So section FF, the term dietary supplement. One, means a product other than tobacco intended for uh, intended to supplement the diet that bears or contains one or more of the following dietary ingredients a a vitamin b a mineral c an herb or botanical d an amino acid e a dietary substance for use by man to supplement the diet by increasing the total dietary intake f a concentrate concentrate metabolite constituent extract or combination of any ingredient described in clause a b c d or e Okay, so that's the first part of the definition. Then two, means that a product that, it mean, a dietary supplement ingredient means a product that A, I, is intended for ingestion in a form described in section 350C, I want B, I, of this title, and, and I, I, I think I should say two, complies with section 350C, one B, I, I of this title. That's just basically uh, oral ingestion. It's a pill, capsule, soft gel, powder. Uh, B, so we're still under section two. B is not represented for use as a conventional food or as a sole item of a meal or the diet. And C is labeled as a dietary supplement. And then three, here's where we go. Does A include an article that is approved as a new drug under section 355 of this title or license as a biologic under section 262 of title 42 and was prior to such approval, certification, or license marketed as a dietary supplement or as a food unless the, the secretary has issued a regulation after notice and comment, finding that the article, when used as or in a dietary supplement under the conditions of use and dosages set forth in the labeling of such, uh, for such dietary supplement, is unlawful under Section 342F of this title. And B does not include I, or one, an article that is approved as a new drug under Section 355 of this title, certified as an antibiotic under Section 357 of this title, or licensed as a biologic under Section 262 of this title, or to an article authorized for investigation as a new drug antibiotic or biological for which substantial clinical investigations have been instituted and for which the existence of such investigations have been made public which was not before such approval, certification, licensing, or authorization marketed as a dietary supplement. That's important right there. Or as a food, unless the secretary, in the secretary's discretion, has issued a regulation after notice and comment, finding that the article would be lawful under this chapter. 
except for purposes of paragraph G and section 350F of this title, a dietary supplement shall be deemed to be a food within the meaning of this chapter. That is our definition of a dietary supplement. It gets crazy with the drug exclusion stuff, but you're going to see that there is a timing aspect to this. So now we got to parse it all. Does that amend pass the test for 21 USC 321 FF, which is what I was just reading. Hopefully you're still with us. <laughs> first, let's cover the easy parts one and two above. So first you got the quali qualification per the definition of the term dietary supplement. Is that amend one of the following? I bolded the things that it, that it is. A, it is a vitamin. It's not a mineral, not an herb or botanical, not an amino acid. E, it is a dietary supplement for use by man to uh, supplement the diet by increasing the total dietary intake. F, is it a concentrate, metabolite, constituent ex extract, etc.? Yes, it is that as well. So both are the areas where it passes. We'll discuss A and F in the scientific sections of this article, but know that NMN is most definitely a metabolite. It's a metabolite of niacin, nicotinic acid, and niacinamide, and it's a constituent of barley, milk, edamame, a bunch of different foods, as well as cinnamon, and it's potentially an extract from cinnamon as well. And that's what those researchers were looking for. That's a new study published in 20, uh, late 2022. But if we were forced to choose one argument, we'd actually side with E to increase the total dietary intake of NAD precursors. And that's a topic we cover later on in this video. So the legal, so the answer is here, yes, and clearly, like it, NMN legally qualifies in that definition of dietary supplement. We got numerous things that it, that'll um, that'll work. Then the second part is the appropriate ingestion route. Is NMN intended for ingestion in a form described in Section 350C1B1 of this article, and does it comply with uh, the Part Two of that article? And those are really referring to the vitamins and minerals part of the FDNC, stating the following. One, is intended for ingestion in tablet, capsule, powder, soft gel cap, gel cap, or liquid form, or two, is not intended for ingestion in such form, is not represented uh, as conventional food, and is not represented for use as a sole item of a meal or of a diet. So yes, NMN is predominantly ingested in capsules and powders. Additionally, it's not represented as the uh, as a conventional food. So when we're talking about foods, FDA includes supplements in the terms of foods so then they they have the phrase conventional food to talk about it being like an actual food like a an apple or a bag of pretzels or something like that and it, and nmn is not like the sole item no one's saying nmn um nmn is not like the sole item of a meal or of a diet so it is allowed to be illegal labeled as a dietary supplement long story short yeah it's taken as a, as a capsule or powder and it's not like uh, a bag of pretzels it's not a food <laughs> so now for part three where the legal showdown is coming but is NMN considered a new drug so first does it include an article that is approved as a new drug under section 355 i already read this stuff so here we go you may need to read the upcoming sections multiple times to parse this logic the above part is asking if the ingredient was marketed as a dietary supplement before it was approved as a drug well, it wasn't ever approved as a drug. Okay, so this part actually isn't relevant. But, and there's an and, but, 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 okay, but there's an and at the end of that provision. We have more, uh, more inclusions to consider. More inclusions to consider if it is an exclusion. Oh, okay, so and B not include. 
One, an article that is approved as a new drug oh, under Section 355 of this title. I'm going to skip. Part one's easy because it is not approved as a new drug. Okay. But two, an article authorized for investigation as a new drug, antibiotic, or biological for which clinical, uh, substantial clinical investigations have been instituted and for which the existence of such investigations have been made public. Part two is where the battle lays. There lies. Because the FDA is claiming that NMN is authorized for investigation as a new drug. Remember when new information came to light. But wait, there's more. Underneath all this, we have the following. Dot, dot, dot. Which was not before such approval, certification, or licensing, or authorization. Marketed as a dietary supplement or as a food unless the secretary and the secretary's discretion has issued a regulation after notice and comment finding that the article would be lawful under this chapter. Well, this puts a restraint on the FDA's exclusionary timeline. Section 2 above that is read here becomes invalidated if it was sold slash marketed as a food or dietary supplement before that investigation as a new drug authorization had begun. And that's where we're going to find ourselves. The interpretation, basically I'm combining all these sentences into one. So taking a step back, this law's definition is generally saying that, it's basically saying this, the term dietary supplement means that a product is, one, a vitamin or dietary supplement that is, one, a, a vitamin or dietary substance that is, two, intended for legal ingestion, like capsule or whatever, and three, does not include an authorized drug that was not marketed as a dietary supplement or food before the drug investigation authorization began. So if you read this closely, and understand the double negative is generated in section three above here, you will see that NMN completely passes this test. Even if it, because even if it were authorized uh, for investigation as a drug, which is still questionable, by the way, it was legally marketed as a food thanks to its earlier patents and self-affirmed grass status. So like interpreting this, the grass status comes first. The grass status in 2018, and we have some examples below, puts like, it, 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 it really hurts the FDA's arguments here. But so when Congress wrote Deshaies in 1994, they planned for this exact situation. They, they wrote the law. The law is it's confusing and it's possibly not perfect, but it kind of does cover for what exactly is happening here. Investigational new drug or IND applications do not invalidate foods or dietary supplements if they were already marketed as foods or dietary supplements before the drug applications slash authorizations. And when asked for the specific dates of Metro International Biotech's applications for MIB-626, their NMN quote-unquote drug, the FDA won't provide it. So it's extraordinarily likely that Metro International Biotech's paperwork was filed well after that 2018 grass letter and the 2020 dietary supplement ingredient listings on the federal government's own website and long after those 2010 patents for the use of uh, for its use in foods and supplements. Now, I try to you know provide some the FDA's potential arguments, try to provide the uh, the devil's advocate here. As indicated in a January 20th, 2023 letter to the Natural Products Association, the FDA simply doesn't buy the above arguments. Regardless of the arguments above and below, it will ultimately be up to the supplement industry to take that next step. If I made that point clear enough, here are some of the questions at hand. First off, what does quote-unquote marketed mean? For instance, the FDA has a different interpretation of the phrase, which was not before marketed as a dietary supplement or as a food in the drug exclusion preemption. 
their definition of the word marketed is not really the literal definition of the word. So it might require the judicial system to, to define that or to, to define what, what Congress really meant. While it's clear that uh, NMN was marketed as a grass food ingredient by Neutraland in 2018, like that LinkedIn uh, PDF, that's marketing. That's my definition of marketing. FDA objects to that as marketing. They would need to see it in a food product. Others could even argue that patents are also used for marketing, and, and, and especially in the food and supplement industries. Like, there's no doubt patents are used as marketing. So would that uh, pass the test of quote-unquote marketing to a judge? I don't know. But in this industry, I'll tell you that a patent is marketing. And it's more than that, too, though. A potential report, uh, retort is that there is an NMN product with a nutrition facts panel designated it as a food on the NIH's dietary supplement label database on, uh, dated June of 2020. Right here. Got a nutrition facts panel. The FDA is unlikely to agree that this is a food. So the next, the next question, argument, what exactly does food supply mean? Quote, unquote, food supply. Where do, and where does it apply? Further, there are sites marketing NMN uh, as food or in the food supply in other countries, such as China, with archives going back to 2020. You need a translator for this one. But the same goes for NMN coffee in Canada, sold on Amazon in June of 2020. I don't think Amazon liked being brought into this whole thing, and that might be why they, right after I published this, they pulled this thing, but who knows? Um, they they pull they they say that they're pulling NMN. So anyway, I'm showing an image of NMN coffee here. For date first available, June 5th of 2020. Out of curiosity, I want to see if this this thing is still up. Oh, it is. And you can get it for 119 dollars. Wow, there's like two of them left in stock. Anyway, these may not be acceptable to the FDA, but Deshaya 1994 doesn't state anything about it having to be marketed in the United States. Amazon's an American site too. So. I'm, does the term food supply pertain to the entire globe in the United, uh, or in the United States only? Who gets to authoritatively answer that question? It was never written in the law. Does, and then look at this, though. Then does an NMN product marketed as a food supplement back in 2017 count? So this company, Fractal Health, this site no longer exists, but we have the archives here. And we have backup archives. Look at this right here. Food supplement. Now, I edited this image, but the original image is right here, unaltered, because I wanted to zoom into the food supplement area. So, interesting. Was it marketed as a food? I don't know. Coffee? Coffee's food supply. So the FDA is definitely aware of questions pertaining to the food supply. Uh, the director of the Office of Dietary Supplement Programs, Carol Welsh, Wrote in the following, uh, the, wrote the following in a 2021 letter regarding beta alanine's regulatory status. I've read a lot of stuff from Carol Wells. She's very intelligent, and she has to deal with a lot of letters from a lot of companies. And I'm not going to get into this one uh, specifically, but this has to do with beta alanine. So anyway, she writes before asserting that a dietary supplement containing a new dietary ingredient is deemed adulterated by sections 413A and 402F. FDA bears the burden of establishing that the requirement to, an, to submit an NDIN applies. This is a different argument about beta-alanine. Just uh, bear with me. Importantly, to meet this burden, FDA would need to demonstrate that beta-alanine is not present in the food supply as an article used for food uh, in a form in which the food has not been chemically altered. In other words, in order... So this is back to me. That was what Kara wrote in a letter to a beta-alanine manufacturer. 
In other words, in order to successfully trigger the drug exclusion clause, the, she, she's saying right there, the FDA bears the burden of proof to show that NMN was not in the food supply before the investigational new drug application. It's unclear if they've done this. We need more transparency on the matter. Like, how do you, how do you prove a negative? And how do you, how much evidence do you have to show you've proven a negative? I just showed a few really good examples that this was in the food supply and it was marketed. So does that not count? And in that same letter, the, uh, the FDA considers energy drinks as part of the food supply. So if that's the case, shouldn't Canadian NMN coffee qualify as well? Or Canadians too polite to count? Further, uh, MBA's Doug Kalman, who we've had on this, uh, on this channel a long while back, and we will again, he sent us a, a little update snippet, and, he's, and he asked us rhetorically, what does substantial mean? The drug exclusion provision simply provides the phrase for which substantial clinical investigations have been instituted. Is one study substantial? Is there agreed upon a threshold of study subjects or dollars spent? Are two studies that are small in number substantial? What is substantial? So it's not defined, and definitions clearly matter here. A lot of this stuff, someone needs to be the decider on this, and um, it might have to be a third party, a third branch of the government. But remember, all this should technically be a moot point anyway. All this stuff I just covered should completely not even matter. I just spent like 30 minutes talking about this because there's no known legal authority to reverse and acknowledge NDIN for reasons unrelated to safety anyway. Like we've gone down this, this legal hole, which is good to go down, but we need to see where can you reverse course on an NDIN anyway. Again, it's a notification, not an approval, and it is not an unsafe ingredient. So what's within the spirit of Deshaya? Like, what did these congressmen really mean? If the NMN case is taken to court, and as of late January uh, 2023, that seems to be the only path for fair resolution. That's my opinion there. Much of this could be for a judge to uh, rule upon. What was the intent of Congress when they wrote this? Is this within the spirit of the law? Ultimately, we've reached a point where it doesn't matter. The FDA has placed a stake in the ground, and they're not buying the above arguments and definitions. That may or may not have have been the intent of Congress when officially creating the dietary supplement industry with Deshaies in 1994, but it's the reality. So at this point, it's up to the supplement industry to fight uh, to push back. We should not expect the FDA to rule against its own past decisions, especially with other ingredients like NAC and CBD on the line. And then we got to bring it back. What's the FDA's charter here? The FDA is responsible. Look at this. Remember. They have their own what does the FDA do page that I screenshot here. The FDA is responsible for protecting public health and ensuring the safety of our food supply. At some point, someone needs to take steps back and ask, like, what are we doing here and how it affects the FDA's charter? There are no safety issues with NMN, and this case involves a lot of legal grappling to remove a safe and extraordinarily valuable ingredient from the market, one that's natural and found in dozens, if not hundreds, of foods. Is this really protecting public health, folks? And then going further, the exclusionary clause creates a race to market condition. So zooming out again, it's also clear that the agency's current interpretation of Deshaya has created a situation that's only going to get uglier now that it's been exposed. The, exclusion, the exclusionary clause here um, in the law has basically created a race to market condition. For instance, anytime some beneficial new compound, constituent, or metabolite is discovered, there's an incentive for pharmaceutical companies to study it as a drug as soon as possible. Well, 
food and supplement companies will race to convene a grass panel and begin marketing it. Nothing about this situation is pr productive for human health, and it could lead to uh, irresponsible and rushed science. Because we're now in this race to market thing, pharma versus supplements, and um, and that could. So while it's fortunate that NMN does have an extreme amount of safety studies and is found in so many foods, a better solution will be needed moving forward. Um, and then we, it's a race condition within the race to market. Even worse. Nobody in the public even knows when an investigational new drug application has been filed. So this can lead to a race condition where a legal ingredient suddenly becomes retroactively excluded once the IND filing date is published. There's no way Congress intended this in 1994, but that's not up to us for, to decide. But if we're going to begin making first-to-market arguments, the 2018 grass provision wasn't even the earliest. Early in the race, we had. it's worth remembering that we had two patents filed in 2005 and 2009 protecting the use of animal and food and supplements, respectively, for those use cases. They were approved by the USPTO, a third agency under the executive branch of the federal government, sharing the same branch as HHS and the FDA described above. So, uh, once again, however, the FDA does not believe this constitutes marketing. If this can happen to one acknowledged NDI, it can happen to others. So, if an NDI can be removed for reasons unrelated to safety, there's no incentive for companies to spend time, money, and resources marketing, uh, working towards them. Since it happened to NMN, it can happen to any new dietary ingredient. The FDA's past actions are destroying the system from the, built by Congress in 1994 from the inside out by disincentivizing anyone from using them as intended. Uh, so with that said, there still can be a winner in a scenario. So I want to go back. Like this race condition. A race condition is when a system's. This is a computer programming term. When a system's behavior is dependent on a sequence of events that can't be controlled. So um, this this can happen when something that happened in the past can mess up something that is currently happening because we didn't know that that thing was going to alter what was happening now. And so a company goes through all this work to get a new dietary ingredient listed, but then all of a sudden, like a year ago, it turns out that there was a drug investigation happening over that ingredient. So it allows for a retroactive exclusion of the ingredient. And it's it just, it couldn't have been what Congress intended because it's just a lot, a lot, a lot of waste. And so we're in this, this weird race to market where you have to go fast. Let's say I find some new XYZ extract in spinach and Pharma is very interested in the effects of XYZ as well because all the best stuff we're kind of seeing is a lot of the best stuff is found in nature. Let's be honest. The, uh, the synthetic stuff pharma has been making hasn't really been working very well lately. So we find this extract and it's spinach. Everyone wants to start using it. It's got, you know, cool, cool effects and it does healthy things. It's safe. The first thing the supplement industry is going to do is try to convene a grass panel and say it's generally recognized as safe and put it into a food. The first thing pharma is going to do is try to race to conduct clinical trials. Well, what if it wasn't safe after all? You know, and so now we have like dangerous clinical trials happening. I think the race to market just seems like we're, we're getting pushed too quickly. So there, there's a compromise here, though. Like everyone can work together to do things appropriately and to do things safely and to slow down and do it right. So the compromise here is allow for both statuses. NMN can simultaneously serve as a pharmaceutical drug with specific disease claims 
and serve as an ingredient to supplement the diet by increasing the total dietary intake of NAD precursors. So for instance, Edaman is being studied in Alzheimer's patients. Any success there would lead to claims that no supplement manufacturer should ever touch. And if you do, like FTC should torch you. So like you don't want to mention those kinds of claims on your bottle or on your on your supplement, uh, you know, your your Shopify website or whatever. But as a food slash supplement ingredient, NMN would, would help to quote unquote optimize energy and NAD production and to quote unquote support healthy aging. These are not medical conditions, nor are they disease claims. So there's two completely different things here. And eventually the FDA is going to have to come to terms with this, with such a compromise. If not now, then at some point, uh, assume because it's got to deal with NAC and CBD. All roads lead to CBD, folks. The similar, uh, this simple compromise is the simple compromise is to agree that natural compounds can serve both functions. Now, this is my olive branch to the, to the drug industry. Like, why not do both? It makes sense. If you need super physiological doses of something, or you need to have a doctor that um, needs to prescribe something, wants it to come from a pharmaceutical company even though I stand by the third-party testing in the supplement industry and many of these uh, companies at this point. But a doctor wants to prescribe a drug. There's no reason why this can't be both. And in fact, a compound we're going to talk about right here on this article a lot, and I've mentioned already a couple of times, that this is already the case. So in fact, this is already the case for a vitamin discussed throughout this article, nicotinic acid. And if you look at Niacor, the label here, it's just flush niacin 500 milligrams which will get you flushing its lipid lowering effect was discovered in 1958 and the prescription drug niacor is simply nicotinic acid dosed at 500 milligrams it's widely prescribed for that very reason but you can also go onto amazon and buy tablets at various doses and feel its effects for yourself this doesn't seem to be a problem for nicotinic acid and it shouldn't be for nmn either we already have a good use case here and it's in this and further uh later on we'll discuss how nmn is actually the same class of vitamin as nicotinic acid that's why i keep bringing up niacin potentially allowing the fda another escape hatch this is our olive branch here this is the smart way to go too it can be both you want to go crazy how you need like a two gram dose of NMN as a drug or whatever. You need to treat Alzheimer patients with NMN or someone's uh, got a certain respiratory illness. Okay, prescribe them NMN. But if I need some anti-aging effects because I'm getting older and it makes me feel like I have a little bit more energy, that's not a, that's not a medical claim or anything. That's a supplement. Supplementing your diet. And this stuff is found in the diet. It makes sense. So I'm cool with both of them. It's a solution. Um, it's a solution with more regulatory rewriting. But uh, okay, so later on we'll detail how it's in the same class, potentially allowing the FDA another escape hatch. And my other escape hatch is a solution with more regulatory writing, but also one that doesn't even force them to rule on CBD or NAC, which seems to be like where they want to go. FDA's asked, in a side, FDA's asked the um, Congress to help them with more laws and tools for CBD specifically. So they're trying to like, they're not happy with what they have in terms of CBD. And that's a whole other situation that we could talk about. But in general, they want Congress's help. They're, they're, they're staying away from a rulemaking process on CBD is what's going on. And so I do have another solution here with NMN as well. 
So at this point, you may be asking, what is the big deal about this ingredient? Can we prove it's really a dietary supplement? And in order to answer that question is first to explain the background, history, and dietary significance of NMN. And at this point, I'm going to take a break. All right, we're back. So before I get into the NAD discussion, like the biochemical stuff, I want to scroll back up and talk about the delivery methods uh, basically oral ingestion. So if you look back, there are actually a few different NDI uh, notifications that were objected to by the FDA. And the first of uh, a couple of them, I believe, were actually for sublingual use of NMN. Um, and like, come on, folks, you got to realize that the laws already dictate that it's for ingestion in a tablet, capsule, powder, soft gel, uh, gel cap, or liquid form. So Right off the bat, NMN was kind of put in this bad situation by people who, I guess, didn't fully understand the law because it was not going to be approved as a sublingual, uh, as a sublingual ingredient, and doesn't need to be taken sublingually. Maybe there are some benefits to someone doing that, but uh, that's not part of the law. That's not how supplements work. Supplements are to uh, in increase the diet, and diet is swallowing the food, so it's all in the pills, swallowing the capsules. Uh, to make up for food. So that's that. So let's get into why, why is this so important and why do I care so much to go and write this article? And so the title is A Century in the Making, NAD and the Long History to NMN Supplements. Now, when I read NAD here, if you're watching, you'll see it's NAD+. Plus. Uh, and so there are kind of, before I get into it, NAD+, plus is kind of like the, the raw NAD, and it can get loaded with a hydrogen atom uh, and there then the it loses its the, the hydrogen atoms bring in uh the negative electrical charge but then the hydrogen can be dumped off a little bit too so it, it interchanges between nadh and nad plus i just say nad for the whole the whole family although uh the ratios of nad plus to nadh are very important we're not going to get into all that right here but we're going to go we're going to go halfway deep so for well over a century Scientists sought to understand and embrace a universal energy-carrying compound known as NAD, short for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. Researchers originally thought it was just an important fermentation factor. And I'm citing stuff from like 1906 here. This has been going on for a while. 1930, they thought it was a coenzyme um, and then some newer stuff discussing it. Anyway, they thought it was just a fermentation factor, but we now know that NAD's quote-unquote raw form, NAD+, is, fundament is fundamental to energy metabolism, facilitating countless biochemical reactions in the body. The citations I have here are some really good review articles. If I scroll down, there we go. There's a, there's a bunch of These are like the really good review articles in this citation stack that will have the backgrounds very like laid out pretty well. It participates in cell survival, inflammation, DNA repair, liver detoxification, and several processes that combat aging. We now also understand that poor NAD metabolism can lead to severe health consequences, many of which deal with cellular energy insufficiency, insufficiency and are age-related. Let's explore how we historically came to understand this and how it coincides with, with some critical vitamin discoveries. Now, as I started researching this, I like to go back through all the studies. This is just me talking now. I go back through a lot of these studies and I backtrack, 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 see what they were citing. Why are we here? And it turns out that this, this is where I had like my revelations about how cool this, this ingredient is. And I'll, 
so let's just continue. But um, some of the stuff, cellular energy insufficiency or insufficient cellular energy. We've had Sean Wells on this podcast talking about this several times. Like this is very important. Uh, even if you are throwing tons of calories at your body, uh, obesity is often is still a case of malnourishment. We get into that way later. So there, um, we need to be able to actually use the energy we have and not become energy toxic. And this is one of those molecules that can do that. It's very important. So in 1948, subheading ATP plus NMN to NAD and back and forth. It's a chemical reaction that can go back for us. So we talk a lot about ATP on this channel as well. You can find those podcasts as well. Scientists first learned about the underpinnings of NAD in the early 1900s. So taking a break again, I saw someone post that David Sinclair uh, discovered NMN and that could be further from the truth. Like we're going way back in, in time. Uh, it'll be just, you know, so anyway, four key Nobel prize laureates from 1904 through 1948 contributed to the understanding that NAD is synthesized by linking two separate molecules, ATP and NMN. This is NMN is like the direct precursor to this stuff. And it comes along uh, and, and by, is bound to ATP to do it to insanely critical molecules here and that was discovered around 1948 after a whole bunch of uh, series start, research beginning in the early 1900s so known as nicotinamide mononucleotide in the 1950s nmn was discovered it was first identified in human red blood cells so we knew it was like part of the body as far back as 1950 now we know how critically important this molecule is in the body it's a key biological precursor to nad plus NMN studies led to groundbreaking discoveries in the 1960s that greatly contributed to our understanding of RNA and DNA, metabolism, and cellular health at large. Soon, NAD would reveal its importance. This was discovered through its deficiency, actually. So in parallel, we got another story going on, and our two stories are going to merge. So I do a little storytelling here. So in parallel, a, a devastating skin disease and finding the PP factor. So a crucial medical dis, uh, journey played out for centuries. This is like long before our quest to understand the NAD system. Humans have long battled pellagra, a nutritional deficiency disease that manifests as a skin condition. Pella is Latin for skin. I probably pronounced that wrong. And agra means rough. So it's a rough skin condition. This condition is highly intertwined with our quest for better NAD production. Pellagra is characterized by the four Ds. Dermatitis dementia or depression that's number two number three diarrhea and eventually number four death tracking back to medieval times pellagra was always more likely to occur in humans who live in poverty and or have diets heavily reliant on processed corn and are low in meat eggs and dairy after decades of experimentation much of it like insanely I, I think I under, understate that insanely unethical from the modern lens. A renowned scientist named Joseph Goldberger finally cracked the pellagra code. After discovering that the disease could be eradicated with proper nutrition, mainly a diet rich in animal-based foods, he came up with the PP factor, short for pellagra preventative factor, which was temporarily renamed to vitamin PP until it was fully, dis, uh, fully understood. So taking a sidebar here. Once again, we find that low meat diets, uh, low animal product diets cause all sorts of problems. And here we are again in 2030. What is it? 2020, <laughs> 2023. And everyone's pushing low animal food diets. Interesting. These people didn't want to be low. They didn't. The people who were getting pellagra back then, they were poor. They're rural. They didn't have um, they didn't have a lot of money. They were being fed cheap corn. They didn't have access to meat. Now it's like we're 
purposefully removing it from our diets and everyone's getting sick. Interesting. Anyway, Goldberger died before he could figure out the exact identity of vitamin PP, but he knew there was something about consuming healthy animal-based products that was key to keeping the disease at bay. It turns out that PP factor is actually an, an important NAD precursor. So we'll return to that storyline shortly. Now back to the search for NAD boosting supplements. As research into the NAD signaling system expanded with crucial discoveries from 1976 through 2000, NMN itself remained elusive. However, it became quite clear uh, in the past few decades that maintaining healthy NAD levels is critically necessary. Emphasizing its importance, the body has four known pathways to create NAD. It, uh, it provides a lot of redundancy for life-critical molecules. I have an asterisk under the four because it's really it depends on how you define one of the, the salvage pathway. It, we'll get into that. But there's like three pathways, but one of them has two legs of it, so I call it four pathways. Upon learning this, Upon Okay, so yeah, provides redundancy for life-critical molecules and is critically necessary. So upon learning this, the search began in earnest for ways to in increase NAD and keep it high. Since supplemental NAD is unstable and degrades too easily. You can't, this is one of those times, a lot of times in the supplement industry, we just, you know, we want more carnosine in our, in our uh, muscles. Can't just take carnosine. You got to take beta alanine, a precursor, combines the histidine, and uh, then you get your carnosine in your muscle tissue. Same thing with a lot of the uh, ingredients that we take. We take the precursors. Anyway, same thing uh, for uh, nitric oxide. The precursor is arginine, but it's better to take citrulline, and then that gets converted to arginine and then to nitric oxide. This is going to be one of those situations again. Since supplemental aid NAD is unstable and degrades too easily and isn't orally bioavailable anyway, we need to ingest NAD's precursors through food and, if necessary, supplementation. This is literally the direct, exact definition, definitional, like, common sense use of the word supplementation literally nmn is going to take us there three dietary supplements have been used since the mid 1900s and as you'll see the pelagras solution would be one of them so what are the other nad precursors well i've mentioned this a lot in this uh video already if you haven't figured out popular forms of, ni of niacin slash vitamin b3 nicotinic acid and niacinamide so many of you are familiar with niacin sometimes known as vitamin b3 this class of vitamins is prominent in healthy diets. It's primarily supplemented in a couple forms, namely nicotinic acid, NA, and nic nicotinamide slash niacinamide. So nicotinamide is one name of it. These, these, they all have a lot of names. We'll get into that. Nicotinamide or niacinamide. And in the research studies, NAM. These are the two major dietary sources of NAD precursors, and they're historically significant. So NA can be converted, nicotinic acid, can be converted to NAD plus through two pathways. And I'm starting to use NAD and NAD plus interchangeably here. I'm just saying NAD from now on. The pre-sandler pathway, also known as the nicotinic acid salvage pathway and the nucleoside salvage pathway. So I have this image here. And what we're gonna do, if you start with nicotinic acid, you get, um, this is where a lot of people are taking that flush niacin, that niacor drug, for instance, the same thing, the, the ni flush niacin supplements, uh, just regular nicotinic acid, it gets converted to Na mononucleotide, which then gets converted, take an ATP molecule, and then you get Na adenine, adenine dinucleotide, NaAD, and then add another ATP molecule, and you get NAD+. All right. 
So that's one way. But nicotinamide or NAM or niacinamide, which is down here. Can you see my cursor? I think you should. That take an ATP molecule and you get NMN. Take another ATP molecule. And there's a bunch of enzymes involved too. It's not just slamming ATP at things. Um, and then you from NMN, we get NAD as well. So the two forms of niacin, this is like the vitamin B3 class. We are getting to this NAD in my red circle here. I have an image on the uh, blog if you are listening. Check the show notes. So NAM can be converted via the nicotinamide uh, salvage pathway. Okay. So below, below, yeah, centered in the red box is an illustration of how the body works towards NAD+. Okay, so we, yeah, so, okay, so NAD is converted through two pathways, and NAM is converted through the nicotinamide salvage pathway. And this, the elusive PP factor is discovered. So remember the PP factor discussed in the hunt to solve the growing pellagra problem in the poverty-stricken populations? It turned out that it's none other than nicotinic acid. Thus, as early as 1937, nicotinic acid was rightfully deemed essential because it alone was found. Take that alone and you can cure the skin disease. We don't like to drop the word cure here, um, but it, if you're deficient in this, you could take it and the disease goes away. Use whatever word you want. Put it in remission. It works. So animal-based foods are, incredibly, are incredible dietary sources of nicotinic acid and niacinamide and enamin. But as more people turn to vegetarian and vegan diets, it increases the need for supplementation. Folks, if you want to, this is me talking, if you want to be healthy on a plant-based or vegan diet, you're going to have to do a lot of supplements, all right? It's just, it is what it is. I, I don't, I obviously don't agree with it. I mean, we make money off the supplement industry. I still don't want it. I want you to be healthy. And you, animal foods, time and time again, if there's one thing I've learned while like running this site, helping to run this channel all that over the last how many years like 15 years now it is this simple eat red meat <laughs> that's like all you need to let all you need to know to stay healthy you just eat a lot of red meat and don't eat poison don't eat toxic processed garbage that's that's it really exercise walk get some sunshine there you go you're done that's everything i've learned anyway that's not everything i've learned but that's like basically that's all you need to know but Anyway, unfortunately, there are a few major problems when using these two as dietary supplements. So we're still talking about the, the niacinamide and niacin nicotinic acid. One, I've already alluded to this, the niacin flush. You've likely heard of the niacin flush. It's a side effect that people either love or hate, most hate. Many found it, find it downright uncomfortable, while a select few actually enjoy it. That select few, that's a hat tip to those in the uh, Price Ball Discord who, for whatever reason like to take it and it this uh, so anyway they like to take it and it causes the flushing or flushing effect and the sensation is the result of there this sense sensation the flushing effect is a um, is a result of therapeutically dosed nicotinic acid supplementation the flush caused when na binds to the gpr 109a receptor is an effect that ultimately leads, ultimately leads to very poor compliance in niacin users um now i have a sidebar here before we move on to niacinamide Fun fact about the name niacin. How do we get here? Why is this so confusing? We'll get into that. The name nic nicotinic acid was changed to niacin from and based upon nicotinic acid vitamin, NI in nicotinic, AC in acid, and IN in vitamin. Nicotinic acid vitamin makes niacin, N-I-A-C-I-N, niacin. 
So it was changed to niacin in 1942 in order to avoid associating it with nicotine. Interesting. Similarly, the name nicotinic acid amide was changed to niacinamide and then niacinamide for the same reason. So even back in 1942, they're starting to get after the old, old nicotine thing. And what's very interesting is the oxidation of nicotine is how we discovered nicotinic acid in the first place. That's why it's called nicotinic acid. It was first discovered oxidizing nicotine. And this is one form of, uh, of the nicotine where it was, uh, there's a few different molecules you'll see, but on the, on the screen I'm showing how they're very similar. And oxidization burns off some of it and you are left with nicotinic acid. That's how it's discovered. And I just find this very interesting because we've kind of talked about this a little bit on the podcast. I'm not even a smoker, but I'm starting to realize that um, natural tobacco products actually have a ton of health benefits. And when people have poor diets, uh, they are sometimes interestingly compensated for with smoking. And I don't like processed cigarettes or anything, but like smoking some like natural organic tobacco in a pipe or in like organic like hemp paper or something like that, rolling your own cigarettes, there seem to be more benefits than anyone leads on. And that's where I kind of went with this. And one of them is it's an NAD precursor. So, and that's incredibly important. And if you're not eating meat, you're not eating eggs, you're not eating dairy, well, where are you getting your your NAD from? Where are you getting your NAD precursors from? Where are you getting your niacin from? Where you, a lot of people just simply aren't getting it. And weird skin diseases start happening. Weird, like all low energy starts happening. All sorts of aging starts happening. Interesting. Now, I'm not saying like processed cigarettes are good though, but there, there are some, there are some considerations to be made here for smoking um, natural organic tobacco without all the plastic and tar and crap added to it. That's my aside. All right, so here's the second problem. Flush-free niacin, or uh, as a niacinamide, nicotinamide, slash NAM, NAM, is, is less effective. This is what you have in like almost all the multivitamins, too. So there are many supplements marketed as flush-free niacin. They contain niacinamide, originally called nicotinic acid amide, now known as NAM in research. However, there is only one pathway this form can take, and that pathway can be limited and degraded by poor health. We see this a lot. The 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 people who need it most are the people who can't use it as well. We've seen this with studies on berberine, for instance, where poor gut health messes up your ability to actually take in the stuff that your body needs. Like you get in these, you get into these vicious cycles and this is niacinamide is one of those that is destroyed, not destroyed, but like is really uh, hampered by these vicious cycles. The people who need it most, who have poor health, who need more NAD in their, in their lives, are not able to make it from these ingredients because they're not healthy enough to, to do the right. They don't have the tools and they're not healthy enough to actually get to where we need to go. This is one of those ingredients. And you see it in like every multivitamin. It's almost worthless. Further, even with heroic doses of niacinamide, which indeed do raise NAD levels, certain anti-aging markers known as sirtuins are still not activated. And they actually may be inhibited. There, so there are negative, there might be negative consequences of taking niacinamide. Early research has made it clear there are simpler, simply fewer use cases for this particular NAD precursor, still talking about niacinamide, even though it can still be labeled as niacin on a dietary supplement. Speaking from the perspective of a dietary supplement formulator, nicotinic acid is side effect ridden, 
and niacinamide is practically useless. We need something better. Then we get into um, this heading, niacin, niacin's murky definition. A quick point that we need to make here is that the word niacin is often used as a class of vitamins. Niacinamide can be claimed as niacin on labels, but niacin originally meant nicotinic acid. This is, important legal issue. Uh, this is an important legal issue that has become a point of confusion in labeling. So it's, 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 it's unclear what exactly niacin means and to whom one meaning applies versus the other. We dive into this later on. The next ingredient is involved in this labeling situation as well. So tryptophan. Hmm. If you didn't know this, NAD can also be made from the essential amino acid tryptophan, but it's an eight-step process through two pathways. The first is the de novo kinerinine uh, pathway, and then it goes into the pre-sandler nicotinic acid salvage pathway that we saw before. And let's click on that real quick. So you start, where are we at with tryptophan? This is a different pathway map. Oh, you start with tryptophan up here. Step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then we're there. So it's a long way, and there's just too many breaks in this chain that could happen. So, um, so this can, so but yeah, it, this can support, this can provide support in niacin deficient diets. But not all tissues express the enzymes needed to make the conversion to NAD. Mainly, just the liver can do this. So not everything can do it, and it's ridden with there's just too many kinks in the chain that could get broken but in general i have the heading a 60 to 1 niacin equivalent it's legal actually to label tryptophan as um, a niacin equivalent due to the above biochemistry and you may see quote unquote niacin ne on the supplement facts label of a strip of a tryptophan containing supplement every 60 milligrams of tryptophan must be labeled as one milligram of niacin if you're doing this and those numbers are actually based on human research published in 1961 showing a range of 34 to 86 milligrams of tryptophan being the equivalent of one milligram of niacin the actual number depends on your physiology so again like some of the people who need it most it might work the worst so and once again where do we find tryptophan it's an essential amino acid you're probably thinking thanksgiving turkey yeah it's in almost all meat but once again if you have a low meat diet you're not gonna get a lot of tryptophan either and this could lead to like all sorts of other issues sleep issues tryptophan is a really cool you know serotonin precursor and all that while we suggest eating so while we always suggest eating a uh, meat-based diet high in essential amino acids tryptophan is simply not the nad booster we're looking for there are too many potential breaks in the chain and it doesn't touch our predominant pathway so it's cool we got to put it in here but this, and you, if you were going to make like an all-out NAD supplement, sure, throw in some tryptophan. But it's not really, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna move the needle as much as the others. So the quest continued for a better means of NAD supplementation. In the mid 2000s, it was realized. NR. Now you've probably heard of this if you're into supplements. Nicotinamide riboside. So in 2004, researchers discovered the mechanism of another NAD intermediate called nic nicotinamide riboside abbreviated to NR. Once NR enters the cell, it's metabolized into NMN through the nucleoside salvage pathway and then into NAD as the final step. So we started right here. Whereas niacinamide was on the, this side, nicotinamide, riboside, NR, we'll just call it, goes from right to NMN, right into NAD. NR is often considered a source of vitamin B3 like NA and NAM. Since it's found in milk and is already part of the human diet, 
it was eligible for consideration as a dietary supplement. So in 2015 and then in 2018, Chromadex Inc. filed two new dietary ingredient notifications for Niagen. That's the brand name of it. Nicotinamide riboside hydrochloride, NDIN-882 and NDIN-1062. You can look at these uh, notifications, all their science, and you can also look at the... Um, and so additionally, in 2016, nicotinamide riboside was a firm grass, having received a letter of no objections from the FDA. They went all through the FDA on all this stuff. It was, I don't know if there may be earlier on they had a self-affirmed grass, but they actually um, did everything to get NR into uh, legal dietary supplement status, and they have it as grass and, a, and two successful NDIs. So pretty cool. And per, per, so per the Deshaies 1994 guidelines, NR is a legal dietary supplement ingredient, 100%. This event led to a tremendous amount of hype and sales for Niagen. Niagen search trends weren't again matched until the recent news about NMN. So nothing, nothing, nothing in 2012. I probably should have stretched out this. So this is a Google Trends map. And what we'll see is like basically zero search for NR, um, not for either niagen or nicotinamide riboside until boom right around 2014 2015 boom it's in the news and a lot of people are looking for it and then um it kind of peters out and then recently we also had a lot of a lot of action once everyone was like looking at what's this fda doing with this nmn thing so the trouble with NR, despite its approval, there were some issues with NR. It turns out that its oral bioavailability is highly variable among individuals. Some people respond incredibly well to the ingredient, others less so. It's possible that suboptimal gut health may limit its uptake. Unfortunately, this is a major concern because metabolically dysfunctional individuals, those who may need NAD support the most, generally have poor gut health, as I was saying earlier. Additionally, much of NR's momentum was crushed when a catastrophic study was published showing that in swimming tests, NR supplemented rats had a whopping 35% reduced performance compared to the control group. That was a pretty rough study. Um, as this was playing out, though, in the background, there was another NAD precursor gaining momentum. And here we are, finally, NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide. So recall how we said that NR gets converted to NMN and then to NAD. Flush-free niacinamide is also converted to NMN in its earliest stage. So why not just spare yourself the ATP molecule and go straight to the source by supplementing, by simply supplementing with NMN, the direct precursor to NAD. And so I have a, you, if you're listening to the show notes, I have a pretty cool image here where we show how NMN and ATP join forces to make NAD+. And that's exactly what researchers from Washington University in St. Louis postulated in 2007 when they published results from their, their successful research in mice. But it wasn't until 2011 when scientific interest in NMN supplementation really exploded. Reason being, that same team demonstrated that NMN had a positive effect on diet and age-induced type 2 diabetes. Once again, in animals. I probably should have put that here. Um, in mice. The researchers concluded that quote unquote, NMN supplementation might also be effective in human T2D patients, type 2 diabetes, end quote. And with that, it was off to the races for scientists around the world. But it is a difficult ingredient to produce. At, this, at that moment in time, supplementation was easier said than done. NMN is difficult to manufacture and stabilize in a bioavailable format. After an exciting article titled, quote, scientists find way to make aging clocks stop ticking, was published in late 2013, 
Users of a popular longevity forum joked that, hey, you could, you could get NMN for only $1,700 a gram. <laughs> Thankfully, due to industry pioneers like Neutraland, Sickozyme, Cellmark, and NMB Nutrition, we no longer need to worry about those types of prices. And just as prices came down, more data was published regarding NMN's prevalence in nature. This is where there is a lot of debate. Is this stuff found in nature? Hmm. So it is a natural part of our, uh, of our common food supply. So when investigating potential dietary supplement ingredients, many ask, are there natural sources of NMN? It turns out there are plenty. NMN was first identified in food in 1969, where in barley, so in barley, significant, amount, significant amounts of NMN were detected. This alone makes a, a frequently cited 2012 paper that states, quote unquote, incorrectly states, quote unquote, NMN has not yet been found in dietary constituents to be factually and historically erroneous. So this is a good study, too. It's just wrong. <laughs> Maybe it's not a good study that good researcher just didn't research enough anyway but much more evidence will soon come anyway so in 2013 researchers claimed to have found NMN in our uh, daily food sources according to their quote-unquote unpublished finding thanks a lot researchers don't publish it but officially it was this it was discovered in milk alongside nr in early 2016 later that year another team of scientists discovered that NMN is actually quite abundant in many foods, including edamame, broccoli, bro cucumbers, cabbage, avocado, tomato, mushrooms, beef, and shrimp. Got a screenshot of that right here. Different researchers reconfirmed its existence in milk in 2017. More recently, in late 2022, another group of scientists found NMN in numerous types of cinnamon, a spice notably used for its anti-diabetic effects. Um, and then I have a small sidebar worth knowing, alpha versus beta NMN. Uh, NMN has been in, identified in two different forms, alpha and beta NMN. Beta is the active form. That's the one we're always talking about here. And then I say, NMN is more pre prevalent in food than we realize. So combining this data with the knowledge that two different NMN precursors, NR and niacinamide, are also abundant in our food supply, we're led to believe that NMN is not just found in healthy foods, it's actually quite ubiquitous in many foods that contain vitamin B3. This is illustrated by the aforementioned cinnamon study, where hundreds of tested samples were shown to contain small amounts of the molecule. Now, I contacted these researchers, they didn't reply. But if you look at this chart, they were trying to find what, um, what herbs, what plant materials had the most NMN, and they identified some of these peaks right here. However, look at all these other samples. This stuff is in I, I'm guessing, if not almost 100, hundreds of foods, dozens, 50s, like there's a ton of different foods that have low levels of NMN. It's like kind of like everywhere, a little bit everywhere. Not, I'm not saying there's grams of it, but there's small amounts in tons and tons and tons of foods. And they're just trying to find the, like the ones that had the most. It turns out to be cinnamon. With that data in mind, there's a great chance that researchers and dietary supplement companies have been underestimating the amount of NMN we cumulatively get from a healthy diet, uh, high in protein, and other whole foods. Eat whole foods, folks. Going further, NMN superiority and the discovery of an NMN transporter. In fact, a team of, research, of scientists recently found a transporter named SLC-12A8 that they believe is an NMN transporter, bringing even greater significance to the powerful NAD precursor. The discovery has led other research teams to state that SLC-12A8 
is found to be extremely upregulated in the small intestines of mice, which may demonstrate an organism's requirement to pull as much NMN from food as possible. That's the end of the quote. So that's a statement that reinforces its dietary significance if and slash when the transporter is found in humans as well. So in mice, they believe that they have found a transporter in their intestines because the body loves to get as much of this. They assume that the body's trying to get as much NMN into cells as possible. And to do that, it has a transporter, at least in the mice. So understand this. And this is, I'm actually flashing back to our podcast with Dr. Ralph Yeager when we we're talking about ATP. Understand this. And this is at the end of the podcast. He says this. The human body is lazy, quote unquote lazy. If it can generate critical NAD, NAD plus from a molecule that requires fewer highly prized ATP molecules to do so, then it will do proverbial, proverbial evolutionary backflips to make that happen. This efficiency is indeed the case for NMN compared to NR or nicotinic acid. It's also another reason why an NMN transporter likely exists. Energetically speaking, it's a less expensive nutrient to work with. So I have this chart where I just show like all these, all these ATP molecules that have to get used for us to get NAD. Well, our body loves ATP molecules. We don't want to give away our ATP molecules. We don't have to. What if I can stop doing this or stop doing this? I can get my NAD. If I can get my NAD from this guy and I only need one, I only need one ATP molecule to do that. Body's going to want to do that, which makes me believe that we likely have a transporter and that's why NMN is working so well in research studies. The body will like literally do backflips to get this stuff, and then it doesn't have to worry about you know, flush niacin and all that nonsense. This stuff's the best. That's, that's where I'm going with. That's my opinion. And I believe the research will flesh it out as long as it, is, um, it continues to be a dietary supplement. So there's no longer a debate about whether or not NMN is found in food. Instead, the real question is how critical it is to a healthy diet, and should it be included as an essential dietary vitamin? That may seem like a bold statement now, but the data is beginning to back it up, and we'll explore this line of thinking later in this article. So what about safety? We've already gone into this a little bit. Incredible human data and safety research coming at an accelerating clip. So since that landmark study in 2011, more peer-reviewed studies have been published demonstrating NMN's oral safety and, and efficacy in various health metrics in both animals and humans. I cite a whole bunch of different stuff for each of those statements. I'm, it's probably already out of date. They've been publishing so much stuff here. Lots of studies with more certainly on the way. In fact, one of, those, one of these completed human trials was enrolled in clinicaltrials.gov on May 12th of 2017, describing the intervention as a dietary supplement, NMN supplement. Everyone's been calling this a supplement for a long time. Clinicaltrials.gov is run by the NIH, part of the HHS, or the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, an agency under the executive branch of the federal government. Every, all, the many branches of the federal government are all calling it a supplement. The same branch in which the FDA and USPTO reside. So, like, they've approved many different pieces of literature, all calling it a supplement, all throughout the federal government. It's just interesting. Recall from the intro of this article, the law only states that FDA can recall an NDIN if there is a demonstrated safety concern, and the burden of proof rests on the FDA. NMN has zero safety issues. They have zero known safety issues, I should put. None of these studies showed any side effects. Also notice 
that many of these highly successful human trials, as well as one noteworthy animal experiment, get into this one, oh, wait till the end, were published in 2022. NMN seems to be achieving escape velocity, which makes the FDA's recent decisions even more concerning. Here we are arguing that NMN is a naturally found niacin, quote-unquote niacin vitamin. This is like the niacin vitamin we've actually been looking for all along. And the federal government has attempted to capture it and make it a pharmaceutical drug. Now, before we move on, I, uh, so yeah, speaking of clinicaltrials.org, there was one other NMN experiment posted to clinicaltrials.org on September 3rd of 2021, calling it an NMN supplement. Oddly enough, that verbiage was changed less than three weeks later. We'll dig into this one later. So that's going to be a fun one. So let's dig more deeply into NMN and his vitamin line of thinking because it provides everyone with a long-term solution that will protect public health. I'm trying to get people healthy here. If you don't want to eat meat, you're going to fight an uphill battle, folks. And I mean, like, not like a small handful of meat or whatever that Eat Lancet garbage study said in 2020 or whatever, 2019, whatever that was. I'm talking about, like, literal pound of meat a day. For men who are big, two pounds of meat a day. You want, you want to feel good. That's how it's done. Red meat. So what is quote-unquote vitamin B3 and why isn't NMN? Now that we've been through the regulatory torture chamber and have explained NMN's basic history and biochemistry, we have a simple and profound statement to make. Knowing what we know now, what we now know, there's a very simple realization that supersedes most of this legal hand-wringing. NMN is is in the vitamin B3 class and should be counted as niacin. It's that simple. This is, this is a form of vitamin B3. This is literally a vitamin. We'll go even further to say that it's not just a form of vitamin B3 or a niacin derivative, but it is the vitamin B3 that the body most prefers. Let's first look at it from a few angles, legal, historical, and biochemical to draw a few conclusions. So the historical basis for niacin requirements. The word niacin was originally conceived as the new name for nicotinic acid, coined in 1942 using the letters NI, AC, and IN from nicotinic acid vitamin to avoid the molecule's association with nicotine. It was deemed essential because it could cure pellagra, the skin disease found in animals and humans with deficient diets. Okay, went into that. It was also discovered that enough tryptophan could often cure the disease. And now we know why, given the pathways in our biochemistry lesson above. Once again, meat wins. This is the reason why we have the niacin equivalent guidelines for our food and supplement labels. And that's where things start to get murky. So there's confusion in the definition of quote unquote niacin. So unfortunately, over the past several decades, our language has evolved in a way that has become quite confusing. We now have at least three different ingredients that can contribute to the niacin, quote unquote niacin on your label, listed on your label, each with multiple names of their own. Nicotinic acid also technically should be known as niacin in the research called NA, chemically pyridine 3-carboxylic acid. Then there's nicotinic acid amide or nicotinamide or niacinamide or NAM or pyridine 3-carboxamide. Then there's tryptophan or L-tryptophan. So three different things, lots of different names, all of which can go to that niacin spot on your, um, on your label. So the word niacin it now potentially means two different things. A class of vitamins, as in like vitamin B3, and or a single molecule that was haphazardly renamed, nicotinic acid. That's the technical definition. So as an example, when referencing suggested dietary intakes, the NIH links to the National Academies Press. What is the NAP? Or the NAP? 
What do they say about this class of vitamins? Well, if you take a look at chapter six of their 1998 dietary reference intakes for thiamine, riboflavin, niacin, vitamin B6, folate, vitamin B12, pantothenic acid, biotin, and choline, which is what the NIH's website currently links to. So let's just show this. When you look at these, these web pages right here, nutrient recommendations and databases, who do they link to? They link to NAP, okay? What does NAP say? The term niacin refers to nicotinamide, nicotinic acid amide, nicotinic acid, pyridine-3-carboxylic acid, and derivatives that exhibit the biological activity of nicotinamide and derivatives. So here, we have the government citing niacin in the broad context, one that mentions derivatives that definitely include NMN. NMN is squarely in that derivative library. I don't need to go back to that pathway map. It's a derivative of it. There are more examples of this usage below, but the point is that the definition of niacin has become very unclear. So let's try to capture the intent. Why are we here anyway? Niacin is deemed essential because it's an NAD precursor. So is the nicotinic acid itself important or the result, or is it the resultant end product what's important? So remember, this vitamin class was deemed essential, and rightfully so, to prevent nutritional deficiencies leading to horrifying disease. Even back in 1965, researchers understood the significance. Here's what they wrote in 1965, quote, functions of niacin. The functions of niacin have been widely studied in recent years. Niacin, or one of its derivatives, is required by all living cells. It is an essential component of two coenzymes. Diphosphopyridine nucleotide or coenzyme 1, niacin adenine dinucleotide, NAD. That's so he's talking about NAD and NADP. <laughs> okay, so the whole point, and I, didn't, I, I skipped a lot, a lot of chemical naming there. Um, the whole point of this quote is that the point is that it isn't, thus, the point isn't that it's essential to get just nicotinic acid or nicotinic acid amide. The real goal is to have something, anything, to generate NAD. The NAD, any NAD precursor is what's important. So this is exactly what NMN does, and it does it extraordinarily well at that. So further, if you look up the definition of niacin in medical texts, you'll see statements such as the following. The general term, quote-unquote, niacin, now includes nicotinic acid and its amide, i.e. nicotinamide, and any derivatives convertible in vivo to biologically active compounds. In fact, the federal government's own website. Okay, so that was the end of that quote. The NIH's niacin fact sheet says this itself. You've seen these pages. What is niacin? And related derivatives. That's where we're going to go. Niacin, also known as vitamin B3, is one of the water-soluble B vitamins. Niacin is the generic name for nicotinic acid, nicotinamide, and related derivatives such as nicotinamide riboside. Oh, NMN is very clearly a related derivative. Hell, it is the derivative. And it's obviously bioavailable bio and active given the tremendous amount of orally supplemented research discussed above. Meanwhile, did you see what they did there? They even added NR, nicotinamide riboside, to that definition right there on the government's website. Hilariously, Chromadex's own grass notice for NR states that NMN is the only metabolite that can be converted to NAD in mitochondria. Even they allude to the incredible power of NMN. This stuff's everywhere. So the point is, it's the NAD precursors we're after. It doesn't, 
the vitamin doesn't just need to be nicotinic acid, whatever can get us NAD. So getting back to pellagra, which is the main reason for niacin's uh, prominence, we have to ask the question, is this disease a nicotinic acid deficiency or is it an NAD precursor deficiency? They didn't know that way back then. Well, we do know, we do now, we do know the answer to that thanks to modern research. And quote, pellagra is a curable dietary illness that unchecked leads to dementia, diarrhea, dermatitis, and death due to lack of precursors for NAD. So there you have it. So it's not specifically the nicotinic acid the body's after. It's the NAD production, full stop. Nicotinic acid was merely the easiest one uh, the easiest one to discover, and it was the easiest such vitamin to find last century uh, because it was really easy to make. You just oxidize some nicotine. There it is. And this is my statement here. Had NMN been readily available in the 1940s through 1960s, it would be in your multivitamin right now listed as an essential vitamin 100 believe that so what is the definition of vitamin b3 and so that's that's uh, the heading there's a way out of this though with vitamin b3 all too frequently vitamin b3 is interchange is used interchangeably with niacin however we don't see an official definition for quote-unquote vitamin b3 in any of the federal government's regulations whether it's a law signed by congress or a federal code applied by the fda Using niacin and vitamin B3 interchangeably makes sense when we broadly consider niacin to be the class of vitamins and vitamins that serve as bioavailable precursors to NAD. But this does not make sense if we stick to the FDA's codified definition of niacin, which is technically nicotinic acid here. You see it right here. That's niacin, nicotinic acid right there again derived from nicotinic acid vitamin and since we're in a legal quagmire the distinction does matter yet the fda themselves the fda itself isn't even consistent with this language so i have an area where the fda uses vitamin b3 as a class of vitamins in a response letter here in chromodex's two ndis for nicotinamide riboside they write um they're quoting erdman 2012 here Vitamin B3 is defined as a dietary precursor to nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, NAD, other than the amino acid tryptophan. Tryptophan is kind of the weird one. <laughs> but um, so in those NDIs, Chromadex cites Urban 2012, and he's got uh, it's chapter 19 of his book, Present Knowledge in Nutrition, 10th edition. Now, that chapter was written by W. Todd Penberthy and James B. Kirkland of the University of Central Florida. All of it was edited by Professor Emeritus John Erdman Jr. of the University of Illinois, all three of which are esteemed PhDs. Erdman is like the real deal in biochem circles. So um, his opinion matters is what I'm trying to say. And so in the FDA's response letter of non-objection to Chromadex's GRASS notification for NR, the agency actually wrote the following. They wrote, NR is a precursor of the coenzyme nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide and is a source of vitamin B3. So the above usage of vitamin B3 makes sense, and the other researchers seem to agree. A book written by prominent biochemists Martha Stepinak and Marie Caudill from Cornell University also states, quote, vitamin B3 is defined as the precursor to NAD, and potentially includes three different molecular forms, nicotinic acid, niacinamide, and nicotinamide riboside. And I'd be willing to add that if uh, they saw NMN, they would likely, if they did an update on this book, want to add it there as well. So they were using vitamin B3 as a class here. So even though vitamin B3 
is not um, formally defined. The FDA is using it in this form. So this is my solution is that we, we start using vitamin B3 and ditch this confusing niacin. That's where I'm going with this. No one's going to listen to me, but, <laughs> but I'll try to like throw out these olive branches. Like this doesn't need to be, uh, this doesn't need to be so like argumentative. It's, this is clearly very productive for human health. We need this stuff, especially if no one wants to eat meat. We should just get everyone back to eating meat and having their own chickens running around so we can chop their heads off and eat them too. Gotten too disconnected from our food. Myself included, though. My grandma, I've derailed. But my grandma, she used to, she used to just be able to chop the chickens' heads off and stuff. The greatest generation, and we lost that with the ultra processing of food through a lot of the boomer generation. And I think now we are suffering the consequences. We don't really cherish how important um, and sacred animal-based foods are, and we should appreciate them, and we should take care of our our animals and our pets and all that. Anyway. So back to the biochemistry, a, a better NAD precursor. We argue that NMN is a better NAD precursor than NA, NAM, NR, and certainly tryptophan. After all, it requires less work for the body to create NAD from NMN. It takes one less ATP molecule to get to NAD compared to that of NR. And the same goes for NA, along with a lot less enzymatic activity there as well. So this is significant. ATP is, infinite, is, <laughs> ATP is finite and extremely valuable. Additionally, there's a good chance we have a dedicated transporter for it because it's that useful to the body. Anytime the body can spare precious ATP molecules, it'll gladly take the opportunity. I believe it's worthy of a niacin equivalent as well. So if if tryptophan gets a niacin equivalent, so should NMN and NR for that matter. What equivalent? Don't know. That's for the scientists to discover, but it would possibly be less than a one-to-one ratio if slash when it's shown to elevate NAD levels greater than nicotinic acid on a gram for gram basis. I don't know if there's any study. I haven't seen it. And I've looked at a lot of these studies. I don't see anyone that's put NA against NMN. That would be very interesting to see what makes more NAD. And I'm willing to say NMN wins. Who knows though? Things happen. Long story short, this class of vitamins is essential because its components all lead to NAD production. Nicotinic acid was merely the first one discovered in the fight against pellagra. NMN is squarely in this class and is likely the best in class and should be added to the list of B3 vitamins that can be labeled as niacin as well. So this is the FDA's long-term way out. Our suggestion uh, for the FDA is to clarify and redefine this class of vitamins in a sensical fashion. If they're serious about public health, they'll investigate this line of thinking and come up with a guideline that benefits everyone. That potentially means ditching niacin requirements and instead using vitamin B3, which would include nicotinic acid, nicotinic acid amide, NR, and NMN. You have four things here that can contribute to this, but calling these four things niacin is weird when one of those four things is also called niacin. It's just, it's just gotten, it's just bad. We have to get away from this. So until then, it's confusing and you get niacinamide in your multivitamin, which is just terrible. <laughs> More easily, I guess calling niacinamide vitamin B3 is still terrible. And it, long story short, people need to understand what they're putting in their bodies. That's why Price is here to help. And NMN, and I would, everything's superior to niacinamide. It just stinks that nicotinic acid makes you tingle like crazy and turn your face beat red. And, um, and that NMN is getting getting crapped on and and ours expensive and is not cheap either but uh 
there's not a really great we're, we're left with no great solutions it's not appropriate to smoke anymore and processed cigarettes are like worse than anything on the planet you see where we're going here like we're having some energy problems folks eat meat once again <laughs> more easily the FDA could propose a rule for NMN giving it de facto grass status. This is my wishful thinking. De facto grass status along nicotinic acid and nicotinamide and open a docket for comments while the research phase is ongoing. They've already said they won't do that. So given their refusal to open a docket for the FPA, however, this all seems likely. Here we, I'm like pointing, I have an immature. NMN goes here in the grass listing. Just it's it, 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 in a realistic world. It's generally recognized as safe, but whatever. Okay. Just like Niacor can be a prescription drug from specific medical claims, while nicotinic acid is a dietary supplement for vitamin optimization and overall energy, a similar compromise can be made for NMN between the pharmaceutical and dietary supplement industries. Literally, folks, everyone can win here. This is doesn't have to be like this. This is way too much work for a vitamin. Until then, the simple solution is already here. NMN is grass. NMN is a B3 vitamin that fits the broadly- Use definition of the word of niacin. NDIN-1247 should remain legitimate with no objections, but we see no reason why MIB-626 shouldn't proceed with specific drug claims. And that's, it's really, the longer I talk about this, the more insane this seems because it does not need to be so complicated. It's a vitamin, it's found in food, and if people want to make drug claims, I don't see a problem with it. The FDA had a letter of no objection, which there's no law stating it could be reversed. Like this whole video is completely like this whole video and, and audio segment is so unnecessary. The, the really the long story short is they can't legally do that. <laughs> and I guess it's It's probably going to have to go into the court system. I hate to say it, but that's the only, that seems to be the only solution. It was with NAC, still not resolved. All right, on to David Sinclair, the Joe Rogan Experience and Metro International Biotech. Ah, okay, so when a lot of people get into this stuff, they go right into this area. But as we research more and more and more, you realize that none of this matters. It's all about the laws and it's a legal issue and it's gonna come down to the laws. Sorry if that's boring to you, but that is the truth. That is where we live in. But we got to have a little bit of flair here. So it would be remiss to publish this article without discussion of two episodes of Joe Rogan's podcast featuring David Sinclair. This is especially the case since Sinclair is in partnership with Metro International Biotech, the company attempting to make the NMN supplement, their words, into a drug. However, before proceeding, let's make two things very clear. This section has very little weight in the legal and scientific arguments in the NA, uh, NMN case. It's here for purposes of historical context and thoroughness, and because everyone else is talking about it, I guess. And David Sinclair is not the face of NMN, nor did he discover it. Like the rest of us, he stands on the shoulders of true giants, such as the four Nobel laureates from the early 1900s. These guys were the pioneers. They were the pioneers finding this stuff way back then. He simply mentioned it on the first uh, he mentioned it first on one of the world's most popular podcasts. So, the Joe Rogan Experience. Numbers 1234, that's a cool one, and 1349. In January 2019, Joe Rogan, host of the widely popular podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, or JRE, 
hosted anti-aging researcher David Sinclair on episode number 1234. And uh, we link to that to Spotify now. It was so much cooler when they were on YouTube. But hey, someone throws you a billion dollars. I guess you go on Spotify too. While discussing his anti-aging exercise, caloric restriction, and fasting protocol, Sinclair mentioned, quote, I also take supplements, and in fact, most of my colleagues are, in the field of aging or anti-aging, as people call it, so I take NMN every morning. Ooh. He goes on to state that he takes a gram every morning in his yogurt. You can watch the clip. I, I link it right to JRE Clips here, so it's all embedded in this thing. I'm not going to play it for copyright issues, obviously. Don't need Spotify or YouTube or whoever coming after me, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, don't. I don't think you need to come after me. If you're unaware of the power of the Joe Rogan experience, take a look at this Google trend to show how much search volume on NMN Amplified. Some things are humming along. Like, you know, there was research in 2011 that was a big deal. Compared to the Joe Rogan experience, nothing hits this. So things are happening behind the scenes. Researchers are doing their thing. Anti-aging longevity people in 2015 are catching on. It's got a little blip here and there, you know. We're looking at the search term for uh, the search volume for NMN. And then Joe Rogan, boom, things go up like tenfold. And then it peters down, comes back up. And then another boom recently, because it's in the news, when FDA bans something, we get to what's known as the Streisand effect. Sinclair later uh, returned to Jerry later that year for number 1349, and they get into NMN supplementation a bit more. Got that clip as well. So this led to a dramatic increase in both NMN's popularity and Sinclair's following. More on Sinclair's use of NMN supplements. Now, early in this article, I should probably update this. Sinclair is not just in partnership with Metro International Biotech. He's a co-founder. So that, that's probably an update that needs to be made there. So digging deeper into Sinclair, he gives a 2017 interview to Harper's Bazaar. The article titled, quote, The Future of Anti-Aging states that Sinclair states that, quote, Sinclair, 48, has been taking his own custom NMN supplement, 500 milligrams, for almost two years. Tests have revealed that his cells now behave like that of a 31-year-old. A similar interview in Kaiser Health News appeared in February 2019 discussing some of Sinclair's financial interests and legal ramifications of the claims made on an NR-containing supplement he and his partners were selling at the time. That supplement, uh, Elysium Basis, does not contain NMN, though. Coinciding with his second JRE appearance later in 2019, Sinclair published Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. In that book, he mentions nicotinamide mononucleotide, or NMN, 22 times, and also discusses his, uh, his and his father's use of NMN multiple times, notably calling it a supplement. So the person who co-founded this, the, look at that, supplemental NMN, NMN, it's available as a supplement. It's in his own book. I, I'm, I pull up Google Books here. Just go right to the reference, and it pulls you right to the search term that does it. Um, so it's mentioned a lot as he's mentioned it a lot as a supplement. Does it matter what Sinclair says? No, but it's just funny that the co-founder of the, the pharma company that wants it to become a drug has literally called it a supplement numerous times. And it's just more weight on this whole thing. So thanks to Joe Rogan's platform, this exposure brought NMN supplements, a molecule mostly known to just the anti-aging enthusiasts, to the mainstream. The number of supplements on the market steadily increased ever since. And that's when you started seeing like big companies put stuff even on the, like, the NIH's data, database listing uh, up there. So things blew up after that. Like, that's how the Joe Rogan effect's going to be. 
David Sinclair at Metro International Biotech. As it turns out, the company with two clinical drug trials, Metro International Biotech, was actually co-founded by Sinclair. Okay, there we go. I was kind of giving you the big reveal in this article, I guess. Oddly enough, this is the man who has been calling it a settlement for years, and now the FDA is trying to retroactively change that. In fact, <laughs> Metro International Biotech's own studies call an event a supplement. So here's where things get really dicey. I don't, I, would, I don't know if I need to use the word dicey here. Really funny if you like at this point. If you take a look at the history of changes, so on clinicaltrials.gov, they have, you could, they, they can edit the, cha- the study, but you can track the changes. It's like Wikipedia. You can go back and see like how the Wikipedia page was butchered. Anyway, if you take a look at the history of changes of the three studies the FDA cites as evidence that a clinical drug trial predates the NDIN, remember from the beginning of this video hours ago, you'll notice that the trial was submitted as a dietary supplement and changed three weeks later. You can see for yourself. So I kind of cropped some images here. Let's just go right to this link. They have a side-by-side history of changes here. So... It was updated. So first they were saying to see whether beta NMN can do you know, XYZ. Then they rename NMN to MIB-626. They decided to make it into a drug. Keep going, and we will find the word supplement etched out of this article. So they're changing all the different NMN mentions to MIB-626, the name of the drug. There we go. Subjects will take the NMN supplement or placebo twice a day for 90 days. And that's under the study's design. Oh, no, they change it. It's no longer supplement. They change it to say they will receive the drug's name. And then subjects will take either NMN supplement again, NMN supplement. And they keep changing. They have changed NMN to drug, NMN, 626. They continually change. So they, long story short, you can see that this study formally said it was a dietary supplement. And then, whoops. We should make it into a drug. Interesting. So I circle some of these areas here in the image if you need a little help finding it. They simply change the word supplement to beta NMN and say, and to say MIB. Okay, okay. Let's try that again. They simply change the words supplement and beta NMN to say MIB-626. So this ingredient, which is really a vitamin that's found extensively in the food supply, becomes a, becomes an investigational new drug because someone hit the edit button? Is that where we are in this cycle? Yeah, apparently so. So yet other studies posted on clinicaltrials.org have been completed, and they, they called it a supplement too. These are like, these are, uh, this is the 2017 one I mentioned. Stuff's been in federal government's hands for many years called a supplement. It's like cat's kind of out of the bag as far as I'm concerned here. So at this point, it's scientifically classified as a vitamin. It's found in hundreds of natural compounds and numerous foods. It's generally recognized as safe in foods per the FDA's own guidelines. It's patented for applications in foods and supplements. It's called a dietary supplement by over a, well over 100 plus researchers from all around the world. I have a list of studies in, in where it's used or stated as a term in the term of supplements, there's at least 60 studies. And each of these studies has many researchers on it. 
It's called the Dietary Supplement by over well over 100 researchers from all over the world. It's called the supplement for years by the co-founder of the pharmaceutical outlet in question. It's historically called a supplement in the pharmaceutical outlet's own clinical trial. Oh, but now it's a drug because someone had editing permissions. Question mark? <laughs> this situation is beyond the point of preposterous. But again, again, none of this should even be legally relevant. NDIN 1247 was acknowledged and has not been deemed adulterated for safety reasons. Thus, it can be argued that NMN is still a legal dietary supplement. It seems like that will have to be for a judge to decide. And that requires the supplement industry to pull it together, which is happening. Things just aren't as fast as you'd like. I, I would like to say that I personally think a lot of other industries would have been more faster and more aggressive, but there's, there's things that have to happen. Finally, let's also remember the FDA's charter. Aside from ensuring the safety of the food supply, they're also tasked with protecting public health. I mean, why are we here? What are we doing? Like, so let's talk about the social issues. FDA's actions harm the underprivileged. And yeah, I, we're going to go here because this is important. Like, it's no secret that we're living through a grave health crisis with the obesity epidemic raging at near immeasurable speeds. We found ourselves in a situation where Americans are simultaneously over fat yet malnourished. I got citations on all this stuff and there's this goes so deep. It's not even arguable anymore. A 2019 publication showed that 88% of Americans were not metabolically healthy, according to data from 2009 to 2016. And it's likely far worse today. I mean, 2019, when they published it, it probably already gotten worse after 2020 through 2022, where a lot of people got locked in their homes and were told not to get sunlight. I'm willing, and like nothing was eaten but Uber Eats and DoorDash and all that. I'm willing to say that 88% is a very, very uh, low number at this point. We are well into the 90% of individuals in this country that are metabolically unwell. And you can talk about that study. It, it, it goes through a few metrics. It's, the point is we have, a, we have a crisis on our hands. While there's no single solution to this problem, and I, I, it's caused by a multitude of factors. It's not just one thing. It's not just corn syrup or the, 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 the various uh, new medications that have been given out. It's not just uh, the seed oils. It's not just what's in the water. It's literally everything. It's a multitude of factors. It is like the great poisoning. One of the core contributors to our ongoing health crisis is the pervasive consumption of ultra-processed foods. Like if you want to lump in a whole lot of stuff, ultra-processed foods is where you start, which have, now, which have low nutrient density. This is especially the case for children. These poor kids, are, they don't even have a chance. It's sad. Just as the Pelagra epidemic devastated poor communities with low access to animal foods in the early 1900s, we're seeing a similar epidemic of malnutrition unfold here. History rhymes. Only this time, there's plenty of access to caloric energy, just low access to nutrition, hence the obesity. People can't stop eating for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons, in my opinion, is their bodies are still craving actual nutrition. And then by the time they're so metabolically sick, they can't even get it into their systems. Once it's, it's, it's a horrible, tragic, tragic thing. It's literally a great poisoning. And we have to do everything we can to try to protect our kids. It's sick. One of the many concerns is the resurgence uh, of poor access to foods with quality NAD precursors leading to severe health consequences. I'm starting, this is where I'm starting to see, like, connecting a lot of the dots here, the um, 
these healthy foods have a ton of NAD precursors. You don't get enough NAD precursors or you can't, uh, you can't utilize them. You're going to have low energy. You have low energy. You're going to have a lot of problems and it spirals. You're going to continue eating and you just get stuck in this like just death spiral. It's a slow agonizing one and it's killing this country. It's killing this world. So you've likely seen a television ad or two for drugs treating psoriasis recently, right? We've seen this. Is this trending disease really a resurgence of pellagra itself? That was at least the case in one situation and potentially many others. So there is this. I'm not going to look at click this link. You could click this link. There is a situation where this man had what they thought was psoriasis. Images are sick. It turned out that it was actually pellagra come back. It wasn't psoriasis. It was pellagra. Dude needed NAD. <laughs> like, it's not funny. I, sometimes, like, I don't mean to even chuckle at that. I, I think in this sad world sometimes, though, you do have to, like, have a little bit of try to keep a sense of humor. You know, in dark times, that's those are the people who survive, who could look at it and figure it out. But you do have to... Have a, have a chuckle like, oh, we have all these people thinking it's psoriasis. Guess what? It was a disease that we cured in 1930, but it's coming back because someone, these demons are telling us not to eat meat. You see where this is going? So we need NAD precursors. The point is, NAD precursors are incredibly valuable to human health. But they're mostly found in foods that are increasingly more expensive. Meat, eggs, and dairy. If you're as we as I read this on February 20th of 2023, we're going through this egg price crisis. I'm not the biggest egg eater, to be honest anymore. I've kind of changed against that, but that's a whole other thing. Point is it, it could help with this situation and where the prices are through the roof in some parts of the country. We're getting like literal food deserts out there in this country. It's supposed to be a first world country. It's ridiculous. The existing NAD precursors and supplements have drawbacks. Nicotinic acid has unbearable side effects, unless you're crazy. And niacinamide is far less effective and even has negative effects. NMN is a better solution than both of these and deserves its place in the niacin supplement category. It might be more expensive now, but we will get the price down. This is price ball, after all. Allowing companies to fortify foods with and multivitamins with this superior B3 vitamin won't solve all of our problems, but it'll certainly help with some of them. I believe that. All of them? No way. We have way more things to combat than just this. But this is one. Um, the FDA should do the right thing for the health of this nation, especially in impoverished areas where their earnest leadership can make a serious difference. But it's the supplement industry who's going to need to make it happen. It's on us, folks. So let's get the supplement and drug industries weigh in. As of early 2023, the Natural Products Association, NPA, has uh, formally asked the FDA to open a docket on NMN, which would allow stakeholders and consumers to submit comments to the agency. That was rejected. Should update this little area right here. To date, several organizations and interested parties have weighed in. Dan Fabricant of NPA. So we've already talked about Dan. Uh, he's, also, he's actually the former director of the Division of Dietary Supplements at the FDA. So interesting um, situation and he emailed us the following comment let's do this all right this is entire comment until i say in quote what public health are the fda's actions on nmn nac and cbd protecting 
When it comes to dietary supplements and foods, FDA is dug in on adversarial strategy, whereas with pharmaceuticals, the agency clearly sees them as a customer and, be and behaves with trusting and cooperative postures. A land of two extremes and an agency focused on using their self-described limited resources to make matters difficult for white hat companies following rules that submitted an NDI or performed a self-grass versus applying those resources to those who are deliberately adulterating or misbranding products on the latest correspondence on nmn the agency despite it not being in statute believes that if an ingredient supplier performed a self-grass consistent with scientific procedure marketed slash press release that notice and then a pharma firm filed an ind uh, on that ingredient after seeing that grass press release prior to the first order of that ingredient being shipped slash fulfilled then it's the agency's interpretation that said ingredient would be excluded slash precluded from the market. That coupled with their with their FDA's reversal on an NDI AKA AKL letter, acknowledgement letter, which isn't authorized in either the statute or the regulations without a rendering of a product being adulterated or misbranded should get everyone's attention. If they could pull an AKL once without foundation, what's to stop it from happening again and again? It would seem the agency has returned to their pre-Deshaya view that their job is to limit the entry of novel ingredients to the food and dietary supplement marketplace. As we did on NAC, we will leave no stone unturned in finding a solution to ensure a safe and vibrant marketplace. Americans who want access to and want to develop innovative health and wellness products shouldn't be treated like a second-class citizen by the FDA. Dan Fabrican. Natural Products Association. I'm going to go back up to his first paragraph. End quote, by the way. I'm going to go back up to uh, the first sentence. Where so, okay. You know, so what he says is um, the FDA, it's a land of two extremes. The FDA should, there are, there are, absolutely. We saw, I saw one today, literally the morning of writing this, a manufacturer who was going to put a very misbranded ingre uh, product out on the market that had an ingredient I was working on. And so there are very clearly deliberately adulterated and misbranded products on the market. Rather than go after them, rather than go after the manufacturers who are doing that stuff, which is like really the, the, the true like cutting the neck off of the, of the snake or whatever. The FDA, he, Dan's saying that the FDA is going after the companies that are doing the right thing here. They're actually working with the rules. They're like following the laws. And these, these NDIs, and the legal fees and the studies, the stuff's ain't, it's not cheap. Like we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, tons of money, tons of time to do the right thing. And they're getting smashed. Whereas the FDA is not going hard after people that are clearly, clearly adulterating products. And some of them are very unsafe. Some of them are or like basically orally available steroids. And some of them come out of manufacturers that are, not as huge, but they're not small either. So while we're not applying these laws to where they should be, uh, while the FDA is not using their enforcement capabilities where it should be, they're going after a company who's like literally trying to follow the law that Congress wrote. So that was uh, that was Dan's quote. Stephen Mister, Council for Responsible Nutrition. Stephen Mister, President and CEO of Council for Responsible Nutrition, CRN, responded to our email request uh, for comment with the following. 
This episode with Edamed is the FDA's latest over-expansive application of the drug preclusion provision. That provision was intended to provide protection to pharmaceutical manufacturers against dietary supplements being marketed directly to consumers using the same ingredients for similar drug indications as the drug and thereby undercutting euros and millions of uh, and millions of dollars of drug research. As we have seen with CBD, NAC, and now NMN, it is being weaponized to award drug companies with monopolies over ingredients that are rightfully within the realm of dietary supplements. I continue with Steve. I'll continue with Stephen's quote here. It's being provoked. Nope. It's being invoked to prevent innovation in the supplement uh, in the supplement market, even when the dosage forms and intended uses drastically differ. What makes what makes the NMN and NAC circumstances so especially concerning is that FDA previously appeared to permit the introduction of these ingredients as supplements and then changed its mind. That undercuts the ability of supplement manufacturers to invest in research and product development with any expectation that they will be allowed to market the ingredients as supplements and recoup their investments. Stephen Mister. Okay. So what you're, both of them kind of say the same thing. Dan Fabricant's always going to give you more aggressive language, um, but Stephen Mister has great points here too. It all, a lot of this comes down to CBD, and and NAC still hanging out over there. But now we are we're very disincentivized to do the right thing, and that wasn't the spirit of Deshea whatsoever. You could also learn more about Stephen's position in a, uh, an article published in. Typo in Natural Products Insider uh, in late 2022. So I got a citation of that. I'm not reading the citation numbers because those citation numbers will change as we uh, put in a new study. Everything stays in order. So what does David Sinclair say on Twitter? He had a long thread. I put it into one big old quote here. On November 4th, 2022, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, published a letter regarding the marketing and sales of nicotinamide mononucleotide NMN as a supplement to boost NAD levels. I am deeply grateful for your patience while I've gathered information to share with you about the impact of this decision. I know many of you are worried about what this means about the safety of NMN and the possible limitations to the availability of NMN supplements. While NAD boosters such as NMN have become popular as supplements, in part because of my research, I am not and have not been involved as an owner, co-founder, investor, shareholder, marketer, spokesperson, or sponsor of any company that sells NAD boosters as supplements. The FDA's decision was preceded by a letter from Metro Biotech, a company I co-founded but do not manage or control pointing out that the company had begun clinical trials with a special crystalline form of NMN that is stable and made under FDA drug standards. The FDA's letter is based on the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which states, quote, the term dietary supplement does not include an article authorized for investigation as a new drug. In other words, if a clinical trial of a substance has been initiated, it cannot be classified as a dietary supplement. In its action, the FDA is in line with its own regulations, which do not allow for the authorization of a substance to be classified as a dietary supplement if it has already been cleared by the FDA for clinical trials. I remain enthusiastic about the science of NAD boosters and their promise of improving human health. Furthering that science and the prospect of cellular age reversal continues to be my life's work, which includes helping other researchers perform clinical trials to address medical conditions like glaucoma, kidney failure, frailty, and rare diseases such as Friedrich's ataxia. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong. Human research trials 
conducted by Metro Biotech on NMN have produced uh, promising results, some of which are published, Pensina et al. 2022, and some are under peer review. The important work of bringing NMN to market as an FDA-approved medication is in the best interest of the tens of millions of people who suffer from and will succumb to aging-related diseases. The FDA standards for testing quality control and efficacy are among the most responsible consumer protection regulations in the world. All consumers deserve the trust, safety, and reliability that comes with appropriate regulation and oversight. Whether NMN will remain on the supplement market is not yet, not yet known, but another molecule, N-acetylcysteine, NAC, which is sold as uh, both as a supplement and prescribed as a medicine for acetaminophen overdosing and as a mucolytic agent in respiratory diseases, fall under, fell under the same law and remains on the U.S. supplement market. Thank you for the, uh, your patience, and please rest assured that advancing the health and well-being of everyone who could potentially benefit from scientific curiosity and discovery will continue to be my highest priority. David Sinclair, end quote. Okay, so there's a lot. Uh, so right here, the second to last paragraph is the, is the key one. He, even he opens, leaves the door open for leaving this as both a medicine and a dietary supplement. This is, this is the compromise. Both sides are saying it. So that's, that's my take here. Now, I mean, a lot of this is obviously BS. I mean, if you wanted to advance the health and well-being of everyone, then you're not going to take it away from the supplement industry. You could do both. So that's that's where my issue here is. But yeah, I mean, even he draws the parallels to NAC and all that. Um, there are, and yeah, so the, there was one other thing I, I wanted to say, but yeah, he, I mean, Metro Biotech is not selling supplements. That's for sure. They do not. He's not involved in selling NAD as supplements. I think he was formerly involved with some of that. There's some stuff about resveratrol you might want to look at as well. But either way, it's noteworthy that even Sinclair mentions suggests the compromise of both drug and supplement status as we have with NAC. If you want the NA, FDA's uh, overall opinion, you could get best get it from Kara Welch's January 20th letter to Dan Fabricant. I put the F here. I put the uh, the PDF on our uh, blog's site here, so it'll stay up. But she goes through all the different points that she doesn't like, such as even uh, pro-health longevity, NMN lozenges, and stuff like that. That's one thing I didn't have up there. Showing NMN water in China. Talking about the patents. Like, none of it, FDA doesn't like any of it. It's good to have on our site, but this is going to need to be moved forward. So, conclusion. We are there. Who's still here with me? <laughs> Conclusion, defeating the purpose of dietary supplements. The FDA's actions have put innovation in the dietary supplement industry at great risk. Between NMN, NAC, and CBD, their actions are suggesting that the NDI process is purposeless, leading to Shea in 1994 to look increasingly irrelevant, despite its status as de facto law. In innovative companies are being disincentivized from doing the right thing, we want everyone to file NDI and new dietary ingredient notifications as intended by our lawmakers. Instead, most ingredient innovators will spend their time and money supporting grass procedures, and this creates a wholly unnecessary race to market between two industries instead of a safe market. Nature has provided us with a great many natural compounds that improve human health, and they've already and they're already in the food supply. Many of those many of these compounds which can be supplemented atop the diet, that's the whole purpose of supplementation, are safe and effective, safe and effective, for the improvement of public health. 
It's time regulators embrace the FDA's charter and understand that these natural ingredients can serve dual roles in society. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But at the same time, the FDA is unlikely to change their ways, so the burden ironically falls on the supplement industry to take action. It's time they stopped bickering over energy drink flavors and started doing something that matters before this slippery slope turns into a mudslide. I think I said all I needed to say here. Um, a lot of this just comes down to a healthy diet, and a healthy diet means eating red meat. <laughs> of everything I've learned in 15 years, you could just put it down to that. Now, if you want to get grass-fed, grass-finished, you can go for it. I, uh, I don't think that's fully necessary. And a little bit of grain finishing not only tastes better, but as long as it's non-GMO grain, it could still be uh, okay for the animals. A lot of these animals are still, you know, milked by their mothers uh, and and fed grass for a while. Then then some grain finishing. I don't believe that we should have, you know, feedlots where they're feeding like Skittles and Skittle wrappers. These cows like that's horrific and all the pork out there. That's that's terrible stuff. But um, regenerative agriculture is a very big deal. And if we eat more meat, some of these problems just go away. Like Eat more meat and stop eating the processed poison. So I've said what I need to say, but we'll close with one last study performed on sick mice that was published in April of 2022. And I quote what the researchers wrote, quote, more strikingly, NMN supplementation can protect 30% of aged mice infected with the lethal, lethal mouse adapted SARS-CoV-2 from death. Mechanically, we found that NAD plus or NMN supplementation partially rescued the disturbed gene expression and metabolism caused by SARS-CoV-2 infection. Thus, our in vivo mouse study supports trials for treating COVID-19 patients by targeting the NAD pathway. We'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening. Check out the blog post if you have any other, uh, want to add any comments and it will be updated over time. What we've realized in the past is that if you're going to cover something, you have to cover it all the way through. And we intend to do that. Win or lose, we will support what the judicial system decides, but I do believe it is going to the judicial system.